bad boys, bad boys. What you gonna do? What you gonna do when we come for you? Welcome to Now Playing's Bad Boys Retrospective Series. You, you, you ain't with the bad guys, man. You with, you with the cops. This is history, bitch! Hosted by Arnie. Are you some kind of action junkie? Yeah, is that what you want to call it? Stuart. Can you stay focused? What are you talking about? I'm focused. And Jacob. I get up early and I take it to the max every day. got something for you. Shit could get you killed. These podcasts contain detailed plot spoilers and harsh language. Hey, drop the light in front of my little bonbon or I'm gonna chop your balls off. Listener discretion is advised. So I want you guys to do whatever you do, whatever it takes, but do it now. Bad Boys for Life, starring Will Smith, Martin Lawrence, Vanessa Hudgens, Alexander Ludwig, Charles Melton, Paola Nunez, Katie Del Castillo, Nikki Jam. Really, did I need to say more names than Will Smith and Martin Lawrence? I'll throw this one in. And Joe Pantaleono, directed by Adil and Bilal. May the name of Arnie Carvalho strike fear into the hearts and minds of podcast listeners for years to come. And Stuart. And this is the co-host who would not fuck a witch without a condom, Jacob. I can't believe we're back, bad boys. When we did that duology, you heard me say, there's a chance we could be back like Blair Witch. We never thought there'd be a Blair Witch 3. We could come back, but I didn't see it ever happening because, I mean, Martin Lawrence is in his 50s. There had been so many false starts on this. It was, I mean, since 2008. Eight, this project has been in development. Joe Carnahan almost started filming in like 2016. Was he going to direct originally? Yeah. Okay, because I was excited to see his name when I looked up the writers of this. I know him from the A-Team, the Gray. This is a guy who's done movies I like, but he ended up just working on the script. No directing. Apparently, the stars had scheduling conflicts, and then Carnahan moved on to Greener Pastures, as in something that would actually film. (laughs) Was Will Smith busy getting painted blue for Aladdin? Probably. I mean, that's what he went to when it aborted back in 2017, right before we did the podcast. Like I said, when I was living in California, they had blocked off a neighborhood. I remember you saying this, yeah. And yeah, there were signs up. Bad Boys 3 was shooting, is what they told us. I don't know what they shot. I don't know if it's here. But it was this urban myth that, yes, sure, Will Smith and Martin Lawrence were going to make a third one. Here's the problem. If you ever had a hit... It's just too tempting now for studios hungry for franchises for them not to go dig through the crate and go, well, we could play this song again. <laughs> like that the like 17 years is too long to do another installment. It has been 17 years. I mean, a whole generation has been born and grown up in the time between sequels. You just normally thinking would be it's dead. You just don't do it. But in this day and age, if it ever made money, 
I think anything. <laughs> these companies inherit these catalogs and go, well, how do we fix this? How do we make this work? Well, this is Sony. They made the original two. And let's face it, Sony is putting out a Morbius film this summer. That shows they are desperate for franchises. Yes, everyone is hungry to be able to make a Marvel universe. Like, it's not even enough to have sequels. You have to have a constant stream of characters and entertainment to fill your whole slate. And so two guys that are in their 50s, Will Smith, frankly, isn't really a big star anymore. I mean, I think Gemini Man kind of proved that he definitely isn't uh, bulletproof. I did appreciate Bad Boys for Life, a reboot of the Gemini Man's <laughs> franchise where Will Smith is going to fight his younger self. It is the better Gemini Man. I'll say that up front, <laughs> but I agree, Stuart. Will Smith, Gemini Man, Aladdin, I know that made money. It's Disney. I don't know. Maybe he's good in it. I didn't see it, but he's voicing some bird that's dressing up as a human, <laughs> as a spy. Like, I liked Will Smith. What happened to him? <laughs> I never thought he was cool. I, I, I appreciated when he tried to show range and oddly every now and then but by and large he was mostly a guy with some shtick and that shtick felt old at this point and i've liked him in some recent stuff but it's never really hit like if you've seen focus i thought focus was good i thought it was kind of a return to old will smith but i never went anywhere i think you're the only one that saw it <laughs> yeah and why are we romancing old will smith what is so great about the glory days He's the Fresh Prince. He had a That wasn't a good show. No, I was talking about the rapper. Yeah, I, which wasn't a good rap band. Not a good rapper. <laughs> I mean, again, nothing he did was really good, like in, in the sense of, like, actually good. In your opinion, I have every DJ Jazzy Jeff and Fresh Prince album. I was listening to them before Will Smith was on TV. I remember I cut out a newspaper clip that had an interview with him at the beginning of Fresh Prince of Bel-Air because I never knew the guy's name. And this article labeled him Will Smith. I cut it out and put it in my He's the DJ, I'm the Rapper CD so that 20 years from now, I could remember the name Will Smith, having no idea that I would, for the rest of my life, remember the name Will Smith. This guy brought a cool and a fun, he was funny and could do action. He was the total package. Funny and action. Boy, that was short supply in the 1990s, wasn't it? There weren't 90 million guys doing that. I, again, I don't. I think you're being nostalgic because, yeah, you were a kid and he was around. Yeah, they promoted him, but he was a flavor of the times. He didn't make anything that was built to last, is what I would argue. There was nothing that he did that you would go back to and go classic. Summertime, the song. Miami, the song. These things are in constant play. Those all took samples from classics, but I wouldn't call them classics. And Independence Day, ugh, Men in Black 1. I know you don't like this shit, but you don't have, you don't ever agree with popular taste. I don't like Independence Day, but that is a classic, Stuart. I uh, have to concede, like, Independence Day will be one of those films that go down as one people love. I don't like it, Stuart. I know you don't like it, but unpopular opinions from us. And people didn't like it when it came back. Because it didn't have Will Smith! Yes! <laughs> he was, what, yes. a picture on the wall, just like that Men in Black International, like, doesn't help if you just have his face on a wall. I don't know if it would have helped that last Men in Black movie either that was so awful. I don't think anyone could say that. The one I also enjoyed. <laughs> I just enjoy this level of film he does. There was not a Will Smith movie I would not see in theaters until 
I think, Shark Tale. <laughs> but in your heart of hearts, when you think about the work, you enjoyed them, you consumed them, you couldn't wait for the next, but it was candy. There was nothing about it that was nutritious. There was nothing about what he did that was good and long-lasting. Yeah, I've gone on the record that when he does try to do something meatier, a dramatic role, it never quite works for me. I do like Candy Will Smith, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and again, I'm on record of liking some. I thought he was good in I Am Legend. But again, that wasn't a classic. I don't think he's made anything that was great. I can't think of anything that I thought, well, like, wow, what a great actor. What a great movie. After Earth, we reviewed it. <laughs> you love it, night. <laughs> <laughs> all right. My point, and all, I'm not trying to throw shade. I'm just trying to say, here is someone that has existed through the good graces of being popular. And now he's not popular. And how do you rekindle that? You go back to things like Bad Boys. Yeah, but here's the thing. I don't want to do Bad Boys for life. Listeners have heard what I thought about those first two. Like, I'm not excited for this part three, which... You can't call it Bad Boys for Life and it be a part three. That's problematic there, but I'll put that aside. But look, the one reason I had to celebrate, to have hope for this film, is the one thing not returning after 17 years was Michael Bay. New directors. Yeah, the fact that these directors are people I'd never heard of, I didn't even see American films on their resume, made me worried. If the studio was cheaping out and not bringing back the visionary creator of the series, could this be good? And you're saying that without a tongue-in-cheek? Yeah. Oh, you, you want Michael Bay back? I'm thinking this franchise was Bay, Smith, and Lawrence in equal measure. And without a third of that trio, it made me really worried. I mean, haven't you been worried about what Michael Bay has been doing since those two movies? Yeah. You know what Michael Bay has been doing since? I think he didn't show up here because he had a straight-to-Netflix movie come out last year. Six Underground, starring Ryan Reynolds. Worst movie of the year? probably, and I saw Cats, and I saw The Fanatic, and I saw Serenity, but no, that's Six Underground. I don't know if he's actually an artistic genius with this avant-garde editing style. It gave me a headache. I sat through it. I made it through, but it was awful. I don't want Michael Bay. He's just still doing his Michael Bay thing, and I don't want it. And I think it's questionable whether anyone wants it after that last Transformers movie. I mean, Netflix wanted it, I guess. And admittedly, I haven't liked a lot of what Bay's done but I loved Bad Boys 1, and I'd like to see him get back to basics too. I'd like him to recapture some glory days along with Will Smith. Can we talk about the elephant in the room? We're all saying about how we want to get back to the glory days, but what happened to Martin? <laughs> they couldn't hire him a trainer for like a month or two just to help out a little. I hate to be sizest, fat shaming, but when I saw him on the poster and in that early ad, I thought there was no chance chance that this could work because it signaled to me he really was doing it for the paycheck he wasn't committed to doing this he didn't even want to be on camera and he just needed the money it screamed in neon leathers cash grab i thought like maybe they would write it into the story it will not even be mentioned in this movie there's one reference to him getting fat i'm like he's already fat he's not gonna get fat mm-hmm yeah, the last time I saw him in anything, as in I paid attention, I mean, the last movie I saw him in that was made was Wild Hogs. Wow. <laughs> that Oof. came out in 07. Why did you see that? I hate-watched it in 08 for, on HBO. Okay, I, that would be the only way I could watch it. Was it worth it? 
As someone that loves bad movies, I'm afraid of that one. Yeah, it wasn't funny bad. It was just bad bad. But okay. it had such an A-list cast. William H. Macy. Isn't that Tim Allen? Yeah. I wanted to see those people and see if it was really the debacle I feared. And But the last movie I knew of that he did in theaters was Big Mama's Like Father Like Son. What? Is that like number seven? Three. Okay, I had no idea. I don't recognize that subtitle. Yeah, I believe he dressed up Mariah Carey's husband as a son that also needed to put on prosthetics in a dress. I looked it up. He did a guest spot on a TV series I haven't heard of called Partners. He did 10 episodes of that, coincidentally named Marcus. Okay. And then apparently last year he was in that Matthew McConaughey movie I did not see, The Beach Bum. Uh, briefly. I saw that movie. It was a freak show, and he was one of the freaks. But yes, he dropped out of public life. We discussed a lot his problems when we reviewed Bad Boys 2, and I just think he doesn't need to work. I think he's kind of the Chris Tucker situation. He doesn't need to work, and after the gun incident on the highway, maybe not a lot of people want to work with him. After 17 years, I mean... Shit, after four years for Spider-Man, they go, well, maybe we should recast. I would think that if you were rebooting this franchise, you might think, let's have it be Will Smith and Martin Lawrence's kids. Like, you wouldn't even use these actors. They kind of do do that. They set the next one up for that, Stuart. Yeah, no, I think in the end, they made a compromise. They fully recognized they needed to quote-unquote remix, and we need to get young blood into this, but they weren't ready. Like a lot of franchises we saw with Halloween and Star Wars, we need to have the old folks at least have a respectable goodbye. And this is the 25th anniversary of the first one. You keep mentioning 17 years, but I think that coming out on the 25th anniversary, while that is a hell of a long time, it's good to come out. And, you know, because of cable and video and streaming, these movies don't become less popular. They don't fade into people's minds. I thought it would. I thought this movie was probably going to tank coming out in the middle of January. That's usually a really bad sign. No-name directors. I couldn't believe my showing was sold out. I had somebody sharing the freaking love seat with me. Yeah, I went to a Friday night showing for this, and when I bought my ticket... The theater was pretty sold out, and when I got there, like I always talk about, uh, it's sold out. Those front two rows aren't full, but it's more or less sold out. No, those front two rows were full for my viewing. It was sold out, sold out. Yeah, the movie that's flopping this weekend is Doolittle. Iron Man can't pack them in, but these guys have a hit. It's Early tracking is showing they're going to win the weekend with big numbers, and yeah, I mean, we might as well just go ahead and say it. This is going to have a sequel. This is popular enough that they will be making more of these. The only reason they might not is I do think getting Martin Lawrence just to commit to something is tricky. Oh, he's going to be a cameo moving forward. Like, they set that up. I don't think so. I mean, we'll talk about it, but at the end of this movie, he's back on the force, bad boys for life. I think this will be lethal weapon. You know, bad boys for life, we're going to see them out there in their 70s. Yeah. See, I got more of a 
Fast and Furious vibe. I think that franchise has had an effect on this. Oh, yeah. We'll talk about a team, and I wonder if that team is going to show back up. Like, that does feel like an extension of the bad boys, and, it, 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 you know, it's just that team that we get in those Fast and Furious films. It, they're going for that dynamic. The credit stinger just screamed Fast and Furious to me. I could not believe. I'm like, so are they going to Tokyo Drift after this? Are they going to cross over? Yeah, early on, and, and it's the theme of this movie. Family is what makes matters a family 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 i mean there are lines of dialogue that should be coming out of vin diesel's mouth that have been given to two guys that were rogue and would never have thought in their earlier days of sharing the credit with some youngsters from the disney channel but that is where they're at now and it appears to be working i agree i saw this as well in a pretty crowded theater imax showing Opening day, people were noisy, they were happy, they let everyone know how much a good time they had. Yeah, I should add that. I went on a Thursday, the first showing, which is now no longer the 7 o'clock show, it's a 4 o'clock show. I noticed, yeah, this one started playing earlier on Thursday. Most people at 4 p.m. are at work or just getting off school. It was an older crowd. I noticed that, that I was among the younger people there, but yes, they were engaged, they were laughing, they were clapping, whatever I think of this movie, it is a crowd pleaser. Yep, I was surprised that this wasn't being treated like, okay, Boomer, here's your last hurrah, like this seems to be something all generations came out for and want. And it's incredible because I can't remember if this was on air or off air, but Stuart, I remember you and I joking, there's no way this could be good, right? I mean, from the trailer. And so again, January, I just expected this to tank. Yeah, at January released, even the studio doesn't have faith in it. Right. It, it was not put out in summer. It wasn't put out at Christmas time. It, it doesn't signify bad anymore. They still want to put out big movies around in January and February, but it means they're uncertain about how big a reach they have. Let's face it. Doolittle didn't come out at Christmas for a reason. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. And this movie, I mean, it's a big, expensive movie, but it has a rather modest price tag for this kind of thing. I think it's under $100 million. Yeah, $90, $95. They were hedging their bets. They were willing to let these bad boys have another play, but they weren't going to give them everything. And do we know anything about these new directors, these one-name, two directors that came to take over this franchise? Like, they're new guys, right? I had seen their work and didn't realize it. They directed the pilot to Snowfall, which is an FX series about dealing crack in the 80s. It has a vibe not dissimilar from the Miami drug culture of Miami Vice, but it's set in Southern California. It was flashy. It was well put together. I wasn't looking at it as a showcase for directors. I was mostly just seeing do I want to watch a whole season of this? And I decided no. But, uh, you know, it wasn't bad. And they seem to have had a breakout a couple years ago with a little film called Gangsta, which, as the title would imply, is some kind of gang culture movie. I'd never heard of them. Now that you tell me they did a pilot that was similar to this, it kind of makes sense because I look at what Marvel's doing. They recruit TV directors all the time, be it Game of Thrones or Community was their most successful poaching. They found these people doing Community and were like, those are the ones to take over the franchise from Joss Whedon and it worked. So if they did TV, I might have had a little bit more hope going in. But yeah, they're no Michael Bay. I mean, they had done some TV. They had also done some music videos 
That's always a training ground if you have a flashy look. Wiz Khalifa, I think they'd work with him. And they definitely stick some musical stars unnecessarily into this plot. (laughs) We'll talk about (laughs) DJ Khaled and why he's here. And Vanessa Hudgens. Is she a musical star? She's had several hit albums. Really? Yeah. I know her mostly from High School Musical. But yes, the point is they have populated this with people that have some kind of cred with Gen Y, Gen Z, kids that are listening to stuff that I don't know about. And they had a single release too. DJ Khalid wasn't just here as a star. He was the executive producer of the soundtrack and brought in Black Eyed Peas and several others, including Pitbull, who I like. Woo, yeah. I don't know if these are like gets. They are names I recognize, but I don't know if you have to have a musician to like endorse them to capture them. I'm sure, you know, they're willing to sell the rights for their songs to a movie. How many of those songs did he interrupt the flow to scream his name? That's what I (laughs) want to know. You know, like, yeah, if you were making a movie set in Miami, these are exactly the people that you would call Pitbull. I mean, like, you don't have to be a musical genius to have assembled this team, but okay. And I was actually surprised because this feels like Will Smith on the comeback trail. Of course, I feel like he's tried that several times. I felt like Suicide Squad was an attempt. Yeah, he's not on the soundtrack, so he's not fully coming back <laughs> to the musical side of things. He's not rapping over the end credits. That's what I'm saying is I thought we might get a Will Smith song. I- <laughs> I think he's actually afraid not being able to live up to the success. I heard his last album that came out a decade ago now. It had a totally different sound. It felt like he was trying to keep up with Eminem and be a little hardcore and drop the bass. And it was not as poppy and fun. And he has teased on Instagram. He does a lot of Instagram videos. And he teased on Instagram that he was back in the studio working on music. But I have a feeling it's going to be like Prince or something. He's going to have all these tracks compiled that his family will release for money after he's dead, but he's never going to feel confident enough about to actually release. I can understand that hesitation, and he's no more scared than I am of him coming back. I would hate that. I just, that would be awful, but... And here I am, hungry for another Will Smith hit. Well, yes, this is one of our many differences in taste. That's why we have different perspectives on the show. (laughs) I don't know that we could be any further apart on Will Smith. (laughs) No. I feel like... We're Trump or Bernie here with our thoughts on Will Smith. I mean, I liked him when my parents couldn't understand me in 1988, 1989, but I'm willing to let that go. I mean, you say I was a kid. I was 30 during his heyday. No. During the end of his heyday. Wait, as a singer? No, as an actor. Oh, okay. I'm like, no, (laughs) you were a child. And Miami, I was in my late 20s around that time. You keep holding on to that. That was like a one-off that mostly used Cool in the Gang. Like, again, I don't give him any credit for sampling good songs. And Nod Your Head and We're Men in Black. And (laughs) even Wild Wild West was a great song for a shitty movie. And sample from Stevie Wonder. But moving on. That's what rap does. No, it doesn't. Actually, it does not. That's what he did. I actually thought this movie had Here Comes the Hot Stepper in there with its sample of Land of a Thousand Dances. Turns out somebody else on the soundtrack just sampled Land of a Thousand Dances. Well, let's get into this remix. Arnie, give him the plot. We'll find out if these bad boys are for life. A lot of time has passed for our bad boys who, as their police captain says, aren't boys anymore. Detective Marcus Burnett, played by Martin Lawrence, is a granddad. 
but Detective Mike Lowry, played by not-so-fresh Prince Will Smith, won't let go of his youth, refusing to settle down or even think about pulling back on his aggressive cop ways. But the past is coming for Mike. A black magic witch named Isabel Eritas has escaped from a Mexican prison and sent her son Armando to Miami for revenge on the people who killed her husband and put her in prison. One of those cops was Mike, and Armando puts five bullets in the cop. Six months later, Mike is out of the hospital after nearly dying, and he's anxious to get revenge on the man who shot him, but the case is assigned to the new Ammo Division, Advanced Miami Metro Operations, led by Mike's old girlfriend Rita. And Mike feels alone because Marcus has retired. Mike works both with and against Ammo, his bad boy tactics clashing with their advanced and less lethal tactical methods. They investigate the crime through various leads until it leads them to Armando. And along the way, Marcus is pulled back into the case, but when the captain is killed by Armando, Marcus decides for one last ride. And then Mike reveals Armando is his son. 24 years earlier, Mike was in deep cover infiltrating a crime ring, and he fell in love with the crime lord's wife. They were even going to run away together, like that movie Miami Vice, but it turned out the wife was homicidal and a witch, so Mike put her in jail, not knowing she was pregnant with his baby. She may not actually be a real witch, but they... (laughs) Yes, I get what you're saying. <laughs> I'm glad they made her a witch, because the first time we see her, I'm like, is she uttering a spell? Yeah, she's <laughs> enchanting, she's cutting up chickens, she hangs out at an altar. I know, it's crazy. You think of a crossover with Ghostbusters or something? Come on. <laughs> when she's moving around photos of dead people, like tarot cards, I'm like, are they saying she's a witch? And then they just come out and say it. She's superstitious. <laughs> Marcus and Mike go to Mexico City for one last showdown, with Mike prepared to put a bullet in his son's head, and Ammo breaks protocol to back them up. A major shootout occurs, but at the last minute, Mike realizes he can't kill his own son. Armando had no idea Mike was his dad, and when he gets this news, he no longer wants to kill the Miami cop, realizing he'd been lied to about his reason for vengeance. Rita kills Isabel in self-defense, and Mike, Marcus, and Ammo return to Miami. Armando has to go to jail for his crimes, which is multiple homicides in addition to everything else, not minor trafficking or anything. He's a cop killer. Yes. But Mike still reconnects with his son, and Marcus comes out of retirement because he and Mike are bad boys for life. As credits roll to a brief scene of Mike visiting Armando in jail and saying if he does Bad Boys 4, the young man can pay down some of his jail time (laughs) as credits finish rolling. And as things start, it's as if no time has passed at all. Miami is the playground for these two cops, one that doesn't like fast driving and one that cares nothing about collateral damage or destroying property. Endangering lives. Yeah, driving off the road into (laughs) beach sand. We're not just black, we're cops. (laughs) I enjoy, like, all this stunt work going on with the car. I'm assuming there's there's a lot of practical stuff here. They couldn't afford the CGI on under $100 (laughs) True. Were we supposed to think, though, that they were being chased? Because I actually guessed. I'm like, oh, one of them's having a baby or something. They're rushing to that. I think they try to play it like they're being chased by the cops, but they never pull a a ruse on me. Yeah. Marcus answers the phone and says, in four minutes. So, like, that to me, just telegraph that someone's in labor. Yeah. The fact that they have a police escort going with them and that we never see who they're chasing. If this was a car chase, if they were going after criminals, we would see the 
criminals do some crazy turns and then Mike following in his Porsche. I was actually wondering if they, they were trying to tell us that the cops were chasing Marcus and Mike. I just want to say, if you're getting a police escort, you should let them lead. You shouldn't be driving <laughs> yeah, just... ahead of them. They should be closing down the roads and then you can go, not you swerving in front of the city bus and then the boat jumping over to keep up with you. Yeah, if you're taking detours on the sand and driving backwards, it's probably taking you longer to get to the hospital. <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking you should have been there earlier. You know what? Th this is a contrived old school scenario anyway. Most people know exactly when they're having the baby and there is no running to the hospital bit at all. No, you schedule this now. It's almost always induced. The doctors prefer it that way because they don't have to get up in the middle of the night. Yeah. Sorry, Ricky Lake. I know that there is uh, some controversy about that decision. But again, this just all seems like just a way of giving us over the top, very silly, annoying action from people that are more concerned about having a good time than saving lives. But I did figure out they were going to see a birth. I thought it might be Marcus's kid. I forgot how old they were. I didn't realize he was going to be a pop pop. It was in the trailer, but it got me in the trailer. It got me here when, when they do get out of that car. And of course, Marcus is going to hit that door on the fire hydrant and scuff up Mike's Porsche. It's funny. It sets off what's different between these buddy cops. One's the goofy, fat dad, and one is still trying to be the single, hot, young guy. I feel that they are smart to play up their greatest hits in certain ways. It has been 25 years since their greatest hits, and they are going to remind us who they are, they haven't changed. They've grown older, but Mike is still enjoying driving fast, and Marcus is still a klutz who's going to spill in his car, and... I don't know why after so many years you'd still let Marcus in your Porsche. He screwed up every <laughs> one of them. But I guess having a baby is a good reason to do that. You're saying the greatest hit was 25 years ago. The, the audience I was with, when Reggie showed up, I'm like, is that Reggie? Like from that kind of offensive scene where they like threatened to beat him <laughs> up and kill him when he's going to date Marcus's daughter. Like he's back and people recognized him. People were like laughing. They're like, Reggie. They were excited to see Reggie, I guess. I recognized him. I mean, that slack-jawed, blank stare. He's, like, missing his lower jaw. <laughs> yeah, it's like nobody could replace Reggie. You don't recast Reggie, you get Reggie back. And, yeah, and the same person who played Marcus's daughter in Bad Boys 2, not the same as Bad Boys 1, but you got back Reggie and the daughter dating Reggie from Bad Boys 2. I did not go back to... Well, I never... We'll go back to watch Bad Boys or Bad Boys 2. Oh, no, I didn't watch them either, Stuart. <laughs> I don't remember anything about them. I didn't listen to our shows, my thoughts. I thought it would help this movie if I could forget everything. But something did come back. When I saw this guy in the Marines outfit being very respectful, I seem to remember a bit where, yeah, like they really punked him. And, and it, yeah, I remember feeling like it played awful to me. Yeah. And I didn't go back either. I just remember all of this because I'd seen those films. Just what we reviewed about three years ago, I just knew them very well. I was surprised I could recall as much from Bad Boys 2 as I did. But I thought about rewatching it. And then I'm like, I don't need to. I know everything. <laughs> so I was actually happy to see the continuity, to see Reggie come back. You didn't have to do it. I was glad you did. But this movie tries and repeatedly fails to trick me. The second scene in this movie, it pulls a Hannibal Lecter moment, and it didn't fool me either. We go to a Mexican prison and see this woman doing laundry and... The guard goes over to see what she's doing. She's chanting some incantation and then cuts the throat of the prison guard. 
EMTs come in. I'm like, they're not taking the prison guard out. They're taking the prisoner out because this is a prison break. This is how you get out. Yeah, when you see that guard approaching the washing machine, I'm like, oh, okay, that's where they put the actual body, that whoever stabbed her has escaped. People were shocked, though, in the audience. They're like, whoa, I thought it was awfully telegraphed. I'm surprised you guys could figure it out because they're telling you at the same time that they're setting it up. Like, this movie is cut in such a way that, like, slash, body drops, cut to ambulance, cut back to a washing machine, I would say 10 seconds at most. <laughs> yes, this is a wonderful sequence in Silence of the Lambs that fooled everybody and was a real stunner. They don't play it like that here. They play it as shorthand of like, let's just get through this really fast. The details aren't really that important. We just want to set up the fact that our villainess is one bad mama. And I think that works. What comes across here is that this woman is super spooky yeah, I was not prepared for how mercilessly she would kill everyone in her path. And that is the shock. Yeah, all the violence in this film. There is some like extreme <laughs> penetration going on with knives and forklifts and lots of blood. But I agree, Stuart. Like this intro to Isabel, I'm like, oh, she is badass. Scary as fuck. Yeah. And it is a shame that she is not the main bad guy. When her son shows up, I'm like, why is the son going to do all this? I saw what Isabel did. Now he's going to get a scene that shows he's pretty capable with knives too. But I was like so on her side from this intro, even though I could see what the tricks they were doing because I'm like, okay, yeah, this feels edgier than what they did before. Like this feels like someone more dangerous than who they were fighting before. And I think you have to credit the directors for this. There is something to their style. It feels like it is a foreign film. I was thinking of City of god or something like that the way they've shot this the color scheme it does not feel like the bay universe at all if it were the bay universe i feel like we would be ogling female bodies it would be much more of a sexy advertisement for miami and here i really feel like they make miami and mexico feel like third world dystopias of violence and fear yeah and the fact that isabella killed that guard so quickly but her son armando is even faster. She gives him coordinates and says, your father hid a bunch of money. Here's the coordinates. I thought that would be the MacGuffin of the movie. Like the entire movie. Yeah, the whole thing was to get that money. <laughs> yes, exactly. And instead, he has the money in the very next scene. Whoever helped him get it's going to rip him off. And this guy is like, fire Ezra Miller. This guy's your flash because <laughs> he kills so many people so quickly before they can even react. They don't even know he's killing them before he's killed five of them. So I think he is very effective muscle here. And again, I'm not crediting the actor. I'm crediting the editor. This may be the most quickly cut movie I've ever seen. Like the just... Oh, no, no. You... The way they're processing all this. And I don't mean to, to make that sound like an insult. I'm an MTV generation. I can handle rapid montage. But this movie really is not going to spend a lot of time deliberating on story. Like, let's just cut, 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 cut. See, I, and I feel the opposite because this isn't Michael Bay. Michael Bay cuts like every quarter of a second. It is insane to watch his editing. It causes headaches, causes seizures. It's bad for 
for your health. Here, like at one time, there's some characters talking and the camera swings around and follows them. And I'm like, holy shit, we have a moving camera. And <laughs> and what I you know, think of as a Michael Bay franchise film. And this scene has gone on for more than five seconds. This movie does move and they get the information out there. But if you've paid attention to Michael Bay's editing, it is not that kind of quick cut. It's an effective quick cut type of editing here. I have to argue with what you said. Michael Bay does a lot of camera movements. This movie will actually recreate the slow-mo swooping camera. Well, you have to. That's like saying, may the force be with you. You're not going to leave that out of a Star Wars movie. You have to have that shot in a Bad Boys film. But I'll agree with you in this. I can't recall in either of the previous Bad Boys films them sitting down and having a conversation. Every bit of dialogue was espoused in a car chase or while screaming at each other. But you're going to get at the celebration of Marcus's grandkids, these two sitting down and actually having a calm conversation for several minutes. Yeah, you're right. Michael Bay would never tolerate that. The only time you would spend time with a character is if they were going to make silly, juvenile jokes. And there's some of that here. I mean, you know, there's talk about dying goatees and what have you. But by and large, this is... Dare I use the word character-driven? It is! That is the shock, Stuart! <laughs> I feel like we're trying to get to know these cartoons in a way that was never considered. I can't believe that this movie has themes. <laughs> it's going to address all my complaints from the previous two. Like, I don't like Will Smith's character. He needs to calm down. Everyone's telling him that in this film. They're like, yeah, you're kind of unlikable. Why don't you chill? Yes, like they have themes and character development. I couldn't believe it. I was shocked that it plays all the way through. And it's it's not deep. It's not great. No. It's there, though. Yeah, yeah. It's formula, and it's the kind of thing you would see a lot in buddy cop movies, but you'd never see it in a Michael Bay buddy cop movie. And the fact that Will Smith and Martin Lawrence are getting a chance to do it after we thought we knew everything about them is a revelation. I'd re-listened to our podcasts, and I knew what I thought of the movies, but I was really refreshed by what you guys had said. Refreshed as in my memory, not as in I liked what you guys said. <laughs> yeah, we didn't like it. <laughs> yeah, you still are going to stand by those films, huh? The first one. And here, I'm watching this after listening, and I'm like, everything they said about the violence, about the police brutality, it's like this movie is addressing that. It's like the people who wrote this and directed this had the same complaints you guys did, and I was equally shocked, Jacob, when I realized I noticed early on Marcus had a grandkid, our villain has a son. I'm like, okay, this is about parentage, this is about legacy. Marcus is telling Mike, you don't have kids, you need to settle down. Why don't you get with Rita? You guys would have great kids together. I'm like, okay, this is about legacy and parentage. And it's right there at the beginning. I had no idea how well they'd follow it through. Although, I gotta call this movie out, it's kind of fucked up on the timeline. Because during the toast, Marcus says he and Mike have been cleaning up Miami streets for 25 years. So that's how long it's been since the first movie. Right. But then he later says, I've been married to Teresa for 26 years. Well, their kids were more than one year old. Now, maybe they had the kids out of wedlock and they then got married one year before the first Bad Boys film. But that seems like they may have been married 30 years or something. And then two thirds of the way through the movie, Mike is going to say, 
24 years ago, I was in the academy, and I was pulled out of the academy to go under deep cover. I'm like, wait, I thought 25 years ago you were cleaning up Miami. I'm really fucking confused. I want to point out that, yes, Joe Carnahan wrote this script, but two other people are also credited. Yeah, there's a lot of writing credits. And guess what? <laughs> there are probably other people that worked on this that don't even get credit. So, yeah, it's a by-committee script. It obviously went through many years of thinking and rethinking what they were going to do, and the script supervisor obviously didn't do their job because, yes, these details don't sync up. And I do think there's some vanity at play with the actors. As you mentioned, Stuart, they're not going to comment on Martin Lawrence's weight, which in the previous movies, Bay would not let that go. I mean, Bay will mock every physical attribute. Oh, there would have been a whole five-minute comedy scene about it. Yeah. He, he, they'd be in a grocery store, and like he'd turn around, and his ass would knock some beans off the shelf. Yes. It, it would have been hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I mean, you guys were complaining about the fat shaming of the daughter in part two, which I didn't even think was fat shaming. Imagine what Bay would have done here, but I'm thinking Martin Lawrence probably didn't want it brought up. Martin Lawrence was uncomfortable with it. I wonder if in the script, Marcus might have said, I was married 36 years ago, and Mike said, when I was in the force 30 years ago, and both of these guys are like, you know, we're going to address that we're older, we're going to actually show Mike have some gray in his beard, and that he really is dying it, we're going to address it. But much like William Shatner in Star Trek II, where he's like, it can be my birthday and I'm getting old, but we cannot say it's my 50th birthday. I refuse to allow it to be 50. I think here, maybe the actors on the day of filming were like, I'm going to reduce this number. I don't want to be that old. Yeah, I, I get that. And I think they're right to be self-conscious about that. It's really, really old to have these people be the star of a movie. Not unheard of. I mean, we, we've had a lot of movies, but Arnold is not the hit that he was. Sly is not the hit that he was. And yeah, if they're trying to resell this to a new generation, you might want to downplay of how old they actually are. For selling these heroes, we want them to be thought of as middle-aged and on the lower end of that. But in this scene where they're talking about the kids, we were also introduced to Rita, who's going to be a competent female police officer in the Bad Boys series and heading up the new Ammo Division, Advanced Miami Metro Operations. And this is also another theme that I think all movies have to deal with these days. Like, bad boys aren't as cute as they used to be, right? We don't like bad male behavior. We like to see women in power. We like to see women have authority and not have that challenged. They're going to play with that a little between Smith and her, but not going to quite go Holdo and Poe, but <laughs> they definitely don't want to give free reign to bad boys being able to do whatever they want and thinking that's acceptable. I don't have a problem with bad boys. I don't feel like bad boys are synonymous with misogyny. I feel like Michael Bay might be synonymous with misogyny, but bad boys in general, like Mel Gibson in the Lethal Weapon films. Very misogynistic. I mean, again, how they treated that woman therapist was awful. Well, just because they treat one woman bad doesn't mean they treat all women bad. Rene Russo. That was a correction added later. There was a lot of misogyny to the way all women were presented as semi-naked, coked-up hookers that must die. There was a lot of disposable ability to female characters except Danny Glover's wife and daughter I mean I felt like they were pretty important 
Yeah, unless you're going to conform to these kind of normatives, yes, then you're awful. <laughs> like, un- unless you're going to get married and live in the suburbs, you're awful because you're a woman. You're a coked up whore. I'm just saying I'm not feeling general bad boy behavior and cops being aggressive and things are so out of date that you couldn't do it in a movie in 2020. Mm, I don't think you could have cops going around doing casual brutality like these two have done before. Yeah, I agree. The way that they start is not the way they're going to be for the rest of this movie. And this movie is going to adjust their behavior so that it fits with the times. And it starts with the humbling of Superman. Will Smith jokingly challenges Marcus to a, a race where he's like, I know I can beat you, but if you win, we'll retire. If I win, then it's bad boys for life. And I was shocked, too. I mean, I knew he wasn't going to die. (laughs) I'd seen the trailers, and you don't start this movie by killing Will Smith 25 minutes into it. It's not being directed by David Fincher. I mean, he's not (laughs) Alien 3. I am shocked, though, that he lives. Like, we'll see those bullets. Three shots, I think, square in the chest. He's got a good surgeon. Yes, and this is, like, I've never heard so much about ammunition. Like, like, it's a P90 Evan Herstel machine gun. Yeah, custom-made bullets. Yeah. All I know is that gun looks like it would kill you just if you pointed it at someone. Like, it doesn't even have to fire. Like, that's just death. That's just death that's coming on a motorcycle. And yeah, it takes him out for six months and it makes Marcus make a, again, how often do you hear characters make a deal with God? Like faith and all of that in a buddy action comedy? And the fact that he says that he hadn't gone to church because he was ashamed of the things they'd done. He was ashamed of the people they killed. They were bad guys, but he felt like it had damaged his relationship with God. That is really a commentary on what Bay did in those first two films. And I do think some of this credit, or maybe all of it, for this plot point goes to Carnahan, because if you've seen the A-Team, B.A. Baracus goes through a similar thing where he decides to become a pacifist. Ultimately, these are action films, and we're going to revel in the violence and the blood spurt and all that, but I'm not expecting a perfect world where we push pacifist efforts before pulling out guns and shooting everyone, but it's incremental. We get some head nods towards, yeah, maybe violence isn't the right answer right away. Maybe we should try some other things. So I like that this is a theme throughout this film with Marcus. Yeah, he made a deal with God that if Mike lives, that he's going to swear off violence and we're going to see him struggle with that. He's going to pull that trigger a number of times, but they're at least going to address the problem with cops and extreme violence. Yeah, I mean, there are yellow traffic lights. In movies like this, it's always green. Go do it. Don't ask moral questions. Ethics are for sissies. We don't care about that. Blow it all up. And here, there are yellow lights that give characters pause as they're going to do that destruction. (laughs) They're never going to stop doing it, but it gives pause, and I have to at least appreciate that effort. But they don't fool me again, because we see Mike in the hospital. We see Marcus talking to God. We see Marcus putting that dye in his beard as cocoa bean or whatever color he said it was that's a good joke (laughs) yeah it was a nice callback putting a little levity in this and then they cut to marcus crying slow-mo and a priest going the family really appreciates you being here i'm like this is a wedding this is marcus's daughter's wedding oh it looked like a wedding yeah (laughs) they dropped a line you still have to make an honest woman of her reggie and i'm like they're not fooling me they did not kill mike and sure enough mike is there dressed to the nines in a wheelchair and so is michael bay yeah it's not just mike michael bay is there for a cameo 
I was upset. I didn't think I knew what Michael Bay looked like. I didn't think if Michael Bay came to my door as a Jehovah's Witness that I would know it was Michael Bay. But he's up there on screen, and I'm like, I think that's Michael Bay. I guess you never obsessively watched his flub introducing that Samsung Curve TV like I did at CES years ago. Like, that is one of my favorite clips. <laughs> Just walks off the stage because he can't read the teleprompter. <laughs> you had to do it, right? I mean, you, you didn't have to do it. But usually, series like to make nods to people that had originate if they're not going to be a part of it. That he shows up here as a wedding guest feels like the proper acknowledgement to his role. Is he taking money for this? He's probably still getting producer credit. I didn't see him on the producer line. Will Smith's got a producer credit. Keep in mind, he didn't write the original script either. It was a spec script. Remember, Bulletproof Hearts. And he just came in to direct it. I wouldn't think he has ownership of these characters. Oh, I'm not saying ownership. I just thought that maybe, usually, you hold on to something as long as it's, you know, you're squeezing it for every last dime. But it was his beginning as well. It's worth being reminded of the fact that Michael Bay, at that point, wasn't Michael Bay yet. When he made Bad Boys, he was just another hack music video director. And he goes up and he says to the band, but I feel like he's saying to the new directors, you're doing a real good job. (laughs) I'm like, yeah, this is a passing of the torch moment. And I don't think they had to do it because I didn't think I knew what Michael Bay looked like. Nobody in my audience, and again, very vocal audience, nobody applauded or hooted that Michael Bay was on screen. I mean, he's no Stan Lee. No. Yeah. Agreed. It passes quickly, as everything does in this movie. Again, the (laughs) editing. And basically, all that we really understand is that, okay, now Mike is fine, and he wants to find his killer and the killer of all these other people. What we've seen in montage at the same time is that Armando didn't stop with Mike. In fact, he got it out of order. Mama is a little bit mad. She wanted Will Smith to see all the other people die And then he was to get shot. I'm not sure why Armando went after Mike first. He says that Mike was the only one who was dangerous to them. Everybody else, they were going to be fine with. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't worry about a judge getting a semi-automatic and coming after (laughs) me. That's true. Yeah, the prosecutor to the case. It's basically everyone that put his father away. And they make a big point of saying that Armando had this father that is dead. Another fuck up on time. They have the news and say... Forensic investigator, Dr. Jack Weber, a 20-year veteran. Wait, I thought 24 years ago is when they did the arrest. What was he doing four years later to put this guy in jail? You're really paying a lot of attention to this, Arnie. Yeah, fair point, but I don't know if anyone's paying attention to the date. My concern was this forensic investigator. I got a brother who's in forensics. He's not living on yachts with multiple women in bikinis. Like, this guy, I think he was a little crooked. Like, he probably deserved to be shot. It looked like a Michael Bay kind of reference to somebody who was taking payola and in on it and being betrayed for the crime not that he was a good forensic investigator who did his job and this is retribution for it and i think that's a way of making us not feel like oh this is really heavy that all these people are dead they may have had it coming to them they may have been a little crooked we didn't really get to know them they weren't from the previous movies were they i don't i don't remember ever seeing these people before and it passes by so quick The point is that Mike knew them and he would know very well why they were all assassinated by this lone gunman on a motorcycle. No, he didn't. He's like, we did 25 cases with all these people. There's so many cases he worked with that judge and those forensic investigators that he, even when he's out of the coma, is like, there's too many. And But the point was that Mama wanted him to know that it was them because she wanted to make a point. She wanted him to know. He just didn't. 
Yeah. She counted on him being more aware of their history than apparently he was. Well, there's just so many cases when, yeah, it goes to ammo and they have this tech guy and he cross-references and there's like, I don't know, there's so many cases. There's no way to know what's going on. Yeah, that sounds like a rewrite that he only did this once. He was already partnered by this point with Marcus. This happened 24 years ago. But he wasn't partnered with Marcus. He was still in the academy. <laughs> yeah, I, I, okay. We're letting that go. We're letting all of that go. For reasons that are obvious, it's an action movie. People have died. The hero wants to get revenge. And so he's going to his captain and saying let me loose i don't think he's even asking to be put on the team the captain's going to put him on ammo as a way of putting him on a leash but he would rather just go out there and beat up dj Khaled and get the answers by tenderizing people's hands with marcus he wants him and marcus to be assigned to the case i'm glad they have joey pants back i love joey pants in the previous films i guess it has been 17 years though because he's looking old yeah he is he's older than either of them and he's right in saying you do not get to investigate your own attempted murder. That is an ethical breach. Internal investigations will be up my ass, but Mike's like, give it to me and Marcus. Have you talked to your partner? Turns out Marcus, he's not pulling a Danny Glover. He's not pulling a, this is my last case, I'm gonna retire. He fucking retired. <laughs> yeah, I like that decision. I like that they're giving some weight and consideration to the fact that he made a deal with God. I mean, I said no more violence, and I'm going to live for that for Act 2. For Act 2, I'm going to sit in the recliner. They have a funny juxtaposition montage where one is getting their gun, one's getting a burrito out of the microwave. I love when Mike is putting on that, like, $5,000 silk jacket and then we cut to marcus putting on like a cotton robe from target yes yeah, Stuart. when you say funny i uh, do you really mean that because i did think this was funny i think this is an approved like we're not gonna have the gay panic jokes all that bay humor is gone and not that this is great humor here but it's amusing like i like the juxtaposition as they both get ready for their day and one's in retirement and one's trying to solve this case it's clever clever enough i mean there might be a little bit because they don't have enough for martin lawrence if you're truly not going to be in the movie for a while like they give him maybe a little bit too much of salsa dancing to a tv show and fixing a ceiling fan that blows up there might be a little too much of it but yeah it's funny that was a setup because early on when he's talking about retirement will smith said "Teresa's is not going to want you laying around the house getting fat and breaking shit and here he is he's breaking a ceiling fan not going to reference his weight, but he's got a burrito. That ceiling fan had the wires hanging out, though. I don't know how much he broke it. Yeah, so that's kind of what he'll be doing while we see Will Smith working with the new kids, with ammo. And this is extra poignant because Rita, who, again, we never met her, right? She wasn't a girlfriend in Bad Boys 2. Not only haven't we seen Rita, I have no idea who Paola Nunez is. I had to look her up. I'm like, she was in the Purge TV series on USA, so I guess I've seen her. But primarily, she has done Spanish movies and television. Yeah, that's a joke. It's also true of Isabel is that they come from telenovelas and at one point Martin Lawrence is watching a telenovela with his mother-in-law. However, Kate Del Castillo, you know, she's the one who set up Sean Penn with El Chapo, right? She has like this relationship with El Chapo. So like in real life, this isn't a movie you're talking about? Yes, in real life, 
El Chapo was like a fan of hers, and they had a communication which allowed Sean Penn through Kate de Castillo to meet El Chapo and interview him. I didn't realize that, but I've now I'm I'm the face you're connecting things for me. That is right because I've seen some of that interviews and I've seen her in that context. I just didn't realize you're as what a funny connection. She probably has some firsthand method acting experience in studying heavies and killers. Then yeah, it's as on the nose casting as putting Woody Harrelson in Natural Born Killers after his dad possibly was involved in Kennedy. I'm like, so she really was in some way, at least a one-way romantic relationship with a cartel lord. Wow. So what do we think of Ammo? I like Ammo. You get Dorn. He's this big, tough, buff guy, but he's the techie. Like, they're trying to go against those types. This should be your action star, but he was a bouncer once. Again, backstories about people. Not that they're deep, not that they're great, but that they're actual characters and that they've thought a little bit about and have their own little subplots. Yeah, the biggest, buffest guy they have on the team doesn't want to get violent and actually is saying, I need therapy when he actually has to kill people. Feels like some kind of 24 first century rethink on the action drama. That's what I was talking about, Arnie, with like, you can't be bad boys anymore. You have to be smarter. It felt to me like a Fast and Furious thing. Like they got a crew together of various types, one of whom will need therapy, the others of whom won't. I liked Dorn. You know, it was a nice thing after the previous bad boy films where they brought in that seven foot geek to be their techie to see somebody buff and see that techies can be of all types. I liked Kelly, Vanessa Hudgens. I loved her in Spring Breakers, although I can't remember. Yeah, which one of the four girls was she? Yeah, (laughs) she was in a bikini and she smiled a lot, no doubt. I liked everybody in Spring Breakers and she was one of them. The only one I didn't like was Rafe. That guy was just too smarmy, and when he's introduced to Mike, he calls him Michael, and Mike's like, there's always one, and he's like, yeah, and that's me. And again, I thought they were trying to recontextualize stereotype. I don't know if he said he was gay, he kind of had that vibe, but he's the tough guy. He's the one that wants to be doing all the action. He wants to be the bad boy. And and again, I like that they're shuffling the deck around, giving character types to different body builds, different sexual orientations, all that, because, yeah, it doesn't need to always be the same. Did you just assume his orientation, Jacob? I did! I'm just trying to read are they trying to do something with that? I don't have a problem with a tough ass-kicking homosexual action star and so if that's what they're going for i don't either if he's actually gay but he kind of cozies up to a couple of hotties at a club later on i don't think he's gay yeah i don't know i got that vibe just yeah from that club scene basically What he does is he gives attitude to Mike that makes Mike say something to the effect of, I fucked your mother. <laughs> so in that theme, we think of it as a joke, but it's actually setting up that whole parenting theme. They're floating it. It's never far from Mike's mind, the idea of legacy and the fact that Marcus has this grandkid and he has no family. And I thought it was a really subtle but clever way of keeping that in the context of a buddy cop joke formula he's having to think already about what it would be to have this unruly son i also liked the commentary on today's time i'm not sure that they even get it right but armando is so pissed that mike's alive he had a gopro and filmed (laughs) his own shooting of mike 
and releases it to the dark web, where it's gone viral and all the ammo guys are watching it. No, you just post that on 4chan, which they actually are monitoring in this movie. That confused me because I didn't see that that did anything for them. Like, I, why? It was just to piss Mike off more. Okay, so it makes them run faster on a treadmill or whatever. I, I thought it was more telling when dealing with tech that they're going to send the drone in. This is going to make Mike very mad. He's allowed to consult. He's like, let's go on a raid. They're like, no, we're going on a surveillance. And that means the drone goes to look at the suspect. Stuart, you mock these very specific bullets, but thank goodness they're extremely specific and they name the brand and the cut and the millimeter because they know exactly who's selling them and able to take that drone to go spy on them. Right. And so this, again, it, it sets up this conflict where, of course, we as an audience want to see Mike be Mike. We want Mike to blow in there by himself and shoot up all these guys and figure out the case and save his man. And none of it will go that way. I imagine that law enforcement are using drones for surveillance like this. But I would like to think if I was in a room and a drone was flying around, I'd hear it, I'd see it. Oh, they're going to raise like a giant metal roller door and no one's going to turn around. Like <laughs> all these gangsters are deaf. I mean, you know, like these are like, these are small problems. Like this is just like typical movie, action movie. But yes, they should know if they're meeting and selling illegal contraband that they're being surveilled if a drone is like 10 feet away from them. But <laughs> hey, the point is, it's more convenient that this guy is selling the same bullets to a new gang who decides it's time to shoot out. So what would have happened if he was just sitting there on his lunch break eating a bologna sandwich? <laughs> Not this scene. Yeah, we see Mike. He identifies that this deal's going to go down, that the bag looks like it's empty. There's no money. It's going to turn into a shootout. His witness is going to get shot that he needs to interrogate. He went in to save a life. Yeah, was he right? It does seem like that bag actually was empty. It feels like they're trying to say, hey, in a typical movie, he would have rushed in. The bag would have had, I don't know, a credit card in it. That's why it looked empty, but he would have been wrong and he'd have to learn a lesson. I think they're saying he was right this time. Yeah, they are not going to make Will Smith completely humble. Like, he goes through a lot of humiliating circumstance, but they're not going to say every instinct of his is wrong. He is still an admiral hero that needs to teach these kids something. And you know what? I think if Vanessa Hutchins has a role here, she's the fangirl. She's always the one being like, be respectful for Mike. And like, she's always kind of smiling. I think she might even have a little bit of a crush on this guy she's the first one to follow him in on this pretty good action scene i don't think it's in the script but vanessa hutchins i noticed her playing it like she has a crush and like she is giving him looks when she's behind him just her on-screen presence her eyes are glued to him now maybe she's starstruck by will smith i mean i would be but the way she plays it on screen, I took it as, yeah, she has a crush on him. And maybe in Bad Boys 4, it'll form a love triangle between Vanessa Hudgens and Rita and Mike. But I do like this action scene. I think it's a lot of fun. And I like that Mike has experience. They're not saying you're a dinosaur, like that Kesha song, and, you know, you need a CAT scan. Instead, they're saying he has experience and can teach the kids some things like that bag is empty, but the kids need to teach him some things like you don't need to run in guns blazing either. Yeah, they tried to do this last year in another bad film. Michael Bay wasn't involved and it wasn't Cats, but Shaft 2019. I don't know if you guys saw that, but that was all about uh, you young kids. You know, you got young Shaft there and you got Samuel Jackson. He's like, you young kids, why don't you just get 
get laid. You got to do it like we did. Okay, Boomer. Like, that is what that film was all about, <laughs> telling the kids. Thank you for letting me not have to see it. Like, I'm good. I'm good, dude. You kids need to lighten up and just get laid. And uh, maybe the youth today need to lighten up a little bit. A lot of anger on Twitter. But it's just very dated. I like that it, the education is going both ways in this film. Yeah, I agree. I like everyone on screen, and that's rare. Like, usually we're pitted against characters, and you have to pick a side and say, I like them and I don't like them. And here, I li- even as Rita's chewing out Mike, I get both their points. And I'm on everyone's side, and I feel like, yeah, eventually they're all going to figure out their relationship to one another. Even Rafe will eventually fall in line, and they will do something cool. Again, it's the family from Vin Diesel, though. I felt like you got all genders, you got all races. We're, we got a crew together now. You say that, but like that family is not very interesting or diverse. Like maybe ethnically diverse, but usually not much is given other than jokes to those characters. Uh, they could take a lesson from this, actually. The one thing they're not doing any better than the previous Bad Boy films is the threads that tie together the investigation. Because they're here with Booker Grassy's the name of the arms dealer they're trying to save. Was that a reference to Luca Brasi? I didn't know if that was... It kind of sounds like Luca Brasi. It sounds like uh, you could probably find an algorithm and say a uh, supporting <laughs> character, punch it in, and, and Booker Grassy would come up. <laughs> Yeah, it sounds like the names that you've heard of every informant in every movie like this before, (laughs) but changed slightly enough so that it's its own new thing. Yes, good thing they didn't really need him. He's dead on a forklift, but this doesn't matter because they have some other informant that Armando needs to kill. Was this person also 24, 26 years ago, whatever it was, (laughs) somehow involved? But Carver Remy now needs help, and he's calling Martin. He's calling Marcus out of retirement in the spa. Yeah, and and Carver Remy, I don't know exactly what information he has, because he's not going to lead them to the next lead. So I feel like this part of the plot is muddy to me. It's just a way to make the characters do specific things, It's to have the shootout, to have Marcus involved in some way. There you go. It it brings the two cops back together because Marcus was very comfortable hanging out in the spa, but he takes the call. Mike has already labeled him quitter. Like, he doesn't even have his name Marcus in his phone anymore. (laughs) You're the quitter. I don't talk to you anymore, but we have to work together, and I have to ride in your Nissan Quest (laughs) because we have to go see Carver Remy at the hotel from Scarface. And because I imagine Nissan gave a lot of money for that product placement. Yeah, at one point, Joey Pants has got a camera around his neck, and you got not just the brand, I think it's a Sony, but like the model number on the strap. So many Microsoft Surfaces in this film that's okay though you know what like there's things that i go after a movie for and then there's things that i'm like that's part for the course product placement these are expensive propositions they had to work on a budget 90 million if they want to plug sony products and nissan cars i ain't gonna hate that's fine it sticks out pretty bad that's all i'm saying it sticks out but i actually think they use it to their advantage because it's actually kind of funny to see will smith in an economy car yes no i like this again this isn't great humor but i like this it's situational base that yes now marcus is retired and he has his wife's nissan and he won't even drive the speed limit again you set up two characters and define their traits and now you're doing humor based off those traits yeah it's a really solid sitcom yeah <laughs> like no one ever like does backflips for this kind of formula stuff but they're doing it very well 
Yeah, but you do do backflips, or at least I am, after those first two bad boy films. I'm like, wow, this one is such a standard story, but those previous ones are bad, and like this one is just able to do mediocre very well, so it's great. Yeah, where are you at on this? A scale of one to ten. We know Teresa's a nine. <laughs> How are you feeling about what you're seeing here? Because Jacob and I are in agreement. This is worlds better than what we got in the first two installments. I was thinking that this could be the best Bad Boys film. I had to really consider that versus the first one. It certainly is the best written Bad Boys film, but I don't know that it has the fun adrenaline of the first one, but on a scale of 1 to 10, I'm sitting around a 7. Okay, so that's where you're at now, and yeah, alright, so Carver Remy does what he needs to, he brought them together, now I'm going to die, fall under the car, and we can see Mike rushing into this hotel. Again, I think that is the exact hotel where the guy got chainsawed up in Scarface, it's at least <laughs> on the same street, and we now have father and son, I'll go ahead and spoil the big twist, Armando is going to be revealed to be Mike's son. He doesn't know it yet, but he'll flip up that motorcycle helmet visor, look into the eyes, and I think something passes there for a second. He's like, am I looking at myself? Am I in Gemini Man, or is this Bad Boys 3? <laughs> yes, that is the crazy thing, and I'm sure, you know, these were developed separately, and they had long lead times, probably, but... Well, I wonder if the same screenwriters might not. You know, that happens. I'm working on a movie. We need a writer. Let me call this guy from my last movie and they bring their ideas from the last movie. And Yeah, this is like the same reveal in Gemini Man. It's like a motorcycle fight when he sees his younger spoiler, sees his younger self. Well, that was in the trailer. It's not a spoiler. Yeah, I mean, I haven't seen Gemini Man. Either of you, was it? Yes, I've seen it. It starts off all right, and then just kind of slides down from there. It's not an awful film, but it's not very good. I wouldn't recommend it, but I got such a Gemini Man vibe off of this film. Yeah, I haven't seen Gemini Man. It's on my Plex. It's on my to-watch list. But I did get a Gemini Man feel when that motorcycle helmet goes up because I'm like, why are they lingering on this? Why is it like a big reveal? And I'm thinking Gemini Man because I'm like, if that was Will Smith in there, I'd get it. But what is this moment that passes between them? Will Smith is recognizing something. Yes. But... I'm not recognizing it. <laughs> right. Again, uh, they've done a good enough job shadowing all of their future reveals. I'm just waiting for him to realize that this is the family he betrayed so long ago and that it's something from his past. I thought would be what they were leading to. I didn't realize that it would be such a direct juxtaposition with the fact that Marcus has a kid. We're going to deal with him having a kid. Marcus and, has a grandkid. Well, yeah. yes, exactly. He, uh, we already know he had a kid, but yes, Marcus is dealing with parenting issues, and now he's going to have to do the very same thing. It's skillfully done. I compliment the writers on the way that they made this feel formula until it wasn't. And this gives Mike some pause. They're actually going to have another dialogue scene. And I should have seen where this was going. I really should have seen where this was going. I'm kicking myself for not knowing when Mike goes to visit Captain Joey Pants at his daughter's basketball game, or maybe his granddaughter's basketball game, I think. She seems awfully young for Joey Pants to have fathered her. But, you know, Charlie Chaplin had kids at 80. <laughs> but they're having this big discussion, and Joey Pants is giving this wisdom. You know, he gives the proverb about, where are you going? I don't know. Ask the horse. The horse is your anger, Mike. You gotta get off that horse. Yeah, no, Arnie, I agree. They fooled me with this, because I thought this was talk was they're addressing issues I had with Mike and his anger and his recklessness. This is the movie telling him you got to get it under control. So I thought it was just this was like a little poignant moment where Joey Pants was going to tell him to get it 
under control. When he gets shot through the neck, I was shocked. It shocked the entire audience. Like, everyone gasped. And there's this moment where he's like, Mike, you're like a son to me. And I'm like, I should have seen it coming. I don't blame you, Arnie. I agree. They telegraph it, but I wasn't connected to those wires. I really thought that was not going to happen. (laughs) And I also just want to say, technically speaking, whoever did the sound mix, I was in the IMAX theater and the way that that streak behind, like, even if you knew it was coming, just the way that they mixed that sound effect, it will get you in the back of the spine. It feels like it's hitting you when it takes out Joey. I had this moment of, shit, they killed Joey Pants. And then, shit, you're a dumbass. Of course they killed Joey Pants. Spoiler alert, in Beverly Hills Cop 3, they brought back the captain and shot him too to motivate Eddie Murphy. So I should have seen this coming. I'm mad at myself for not seeing it coming, but it did get a shocked reaction. I think you don't see it coming because we already had someone already shot and it was Will Smith himself. You wouldn't do that twice, right? Why would you do that twice? But the point is that what they're making here is it's really payback for, his hubris in thinking that he could investigate this himself. I was wondering because I'm like, I thought they were going after everyone from the case, 20 or 24 or 25, 35, who knows how many years ago. Right. But they're trying to knock everyone off that case. When we see Isabel like going through pictures, we never see Joey Pants, but then after he's dead, she pulls out a card with him X'd off, so I figured that was just something they were holding back, so it'd be a surprise that this was just part of that revenge. No, no, not at all. What she said is, I wanted you to kill him last because I want him to suffer and they'll come up with things that will make him suffer they know that he's really close to this captain they want this captain to die in front of his eyes before they shoot him but then some referee from the basketball game comes over And Stuart, you talk about this referee like standing in the way of this sniper. I think this is where they're trying to tell you, Armando, don't totally hate him. There's something good about him because Swalo, his partner, like wants him to pull the trigger. He's like, no innocence, no innocence. So like, don't hate him too much. He won't kill innocent people. Yeah, well, this sets up an interesting dynamic for him. Yeah, he has ethics and he will only kill people that he thinks deserves it. We've seen him kill a lot of people, but in his rationale, they deserved it because they put his father away or because they were under renegotiating a deal. I don't quite know what all those they look like bad guys at the beginning (laughs) that he all stabbed so i'm willing to believe that he's killing with a conscience and that's going to be interesting when we know that father and son are going to have to kill each other that's also a way of saying father and son are going to have to determine are you good or bad and the whole idea of bad boys versus good boys suddenly takes on a new interesting thematic dimension that again we're never part of the formula of the bay universe And I have to ask, Arnie, because you paid so much attention to this timeline, maybe you got the connecting tissue here. Why did they go see an accountant? I hear them drop a line like Mike is going to get Marcus to join up with them because Joey Pants is dead, their captain. So he's going to go see an accountant who has, I don't know, receipts or something tied to the bullets. I don't know. This is Luca Brasi, Booker Grassi's accountant, and he has all of his receipts for the bullets he sold. How did they know this was the accountant? Do they ever say like it just feels like they show up? up there what is said and yes not shown was that they sorted through files and stuff the techie guy might have gotten involved okay they have electronic (laughs) receipts i'm assuming it wasn't like a paper receipt (laughs) from a cash register but if you're selling illegal arms it's probably a good idea to keep track of how much money you're making hey this is a business expense when i buy my bullets i need to be sure it's a write-off i would think that anybody would want a better cpa than somebody working out of this no-tell motel talking all kinds of crazy about fist fucking fast food or I don't know what's going on with Picante Jenkins but I know I wouldn't use him for my taxes yeah the fast food fist fuck was a line that I don't even know what that means does it mean a 
No, quarter pounder with cheese is greasy enough to use for lube. We're not going to talk about it. I don't want to talk about positions. I don't want to talk about sex acts. I just want to talk about Martin Lawrence still holding on to the idea that he can be good men, not bad boys. Who wants to sing that song? By the way, Salt and Peppa had a very big hit with What a Man. So, like, you can sing that song. You can extol the virtues of men. But the joke is here's a crazy guy spouting crazy. And Martin Lawrence wants to talk him down until he gets socked in the jaw twice. And all right, we'll let Will Smith do it. I loved the line, Martin Luther King just tapped out. You got Malcolm now. Yeah, that was a good line. (laughs) But interesting enough, again, in the 21st century, no, we're not going to let cops just beat up on people. Ammo shows up and does, quote unquote, the right thing. They are the good men. They have tasers. And so Mike doesn't get to show his masculinity by putting away the gun and beating on this guy. You know, this movie broke the rule of Chekhov's grenade launcher because right before this scene, Marcus is like, why you got a grenade launcher in your truck? I'm like, well, obviously they're going to fire grenade launchers later on. I thought that was, yeah, I did think that was coming back at the end. I think it does come back. We'll talk about it, but it involves this Swelo. What they find out, yes, more tenuous connections. The CPA has left behind social media posts and the techie guy searches through pictures through his dick pics of the day, I think, that Mike got shot it's important that Picante Jenkins was hanging out with Swelo. Why not? You know, I'm sure he's hanging out with a lot of people, but let's hang out with Swelo, who is apparently a Latin music star and might have some name recognition with some part of the audience. I didn't know who. So this is a musician. Okay. Oh, in real life. I'm like, you're saying in the movie, Swelo was a music star? No, no, no. I'm saying that Nicky Jam is somebody to some people. And so (laughs) to see him on screen, they would know, ha ha, they're the next lead. We need to go to the cool club and chase him out of the VIP lounge. And here we once again get Mike having to address his own age. He thinks in his suit with his car, he can just walk into the club like he did when he was a fresh prince. No, they're going to need Rafe to get him in. Yeah, because he does he actually DJ there? I I got a little confused by what was going on there. (laughs) He's at the DJ table. Yeah, I don't know whether that was just for the night or whether he regularly spins (laughs) as a way of picking up extra money. Maybe ammo doesn't pay much. I don't know. I mean, he's still Miami PD. He's just assigned to ammo. Sure. I mean, you know, you can have dreams. I'm sure. You know what? Eddie Money was a Chicago cop that became a rock star. So we'll go with it. Well, it's fine. Rafe needs something. He is probably the most underdeveloped of this ammo team. That's why I'm assuming things about him, Arnie, because yes, he is not fully developed. But the point is that he announces the happy birthday message as Mike and Marcus flank this guy in the VIP lounge and say, you're under arrest. And this leads to another funny chase of... Well, one's going to take the stairs to pursue him, and Mike's, of course, going to leap off the balcony and swing from the ropes. And Yeah, this is a climax-style chase that they're going to go into. It's a huge action piece. It feels like it should be the end of the film, almost. Yeah, I had no idea Swelo was actually going to get out of that club. It felt like, you know, earlier we'd seen Mike beat his informant's hand with a meat hammer. It felt like Suelo was just going to be like the CPA, a minor action scene to lead him to Armando. But no, you're going to get this major car chase, which 
I do love that somehow they found a motorcycle with a sidecar. So with a sidecar with the machine gun? Like, it gets crazy. They start out just commandeering some red truck from the club. But yes, what they say is they go into some gangland territory and that truck gets shot out. And Suelo himself is starting to look like the elephant man because they <laughs> shot him off his motorcycle. And he has this huge... With a rubber bullet because they have to use... ACLU-approved weapons, I guess, for ammo? Yeah. yeah. They dropped some line about the ACLU. But rubber bullets do hurt like hell from what I read. I've never been shot with them. I've been shot with a paintball and that hurt. Yeah, imagine this rubber bullet. And when he gets shot in the back with a rubber bullet, yes, it's non-lethal. Yes, they're not so bad boys. But you shoot somebody who's not wearing a helmet to fall off a motorcycle. Well, he shouldn't be on a motorcycle without a helmet. Oh, that's on Swaylo. Yeah. The, <laughs> the funniest joke to me in this whole movie is Martin Lawrence right here, where he's like, I gotta touch it. Yeah. <laughs> he just can't not touch it. Oh, the, the audience <laughs> lost their minds over this. And I was laughing, too, because I would have to touch it. Like, I get a bump. I want to touch it. I want to feel that pus. Like, I just have to. <laughs> yeah, it feels like some kind of Tarantino moment. It feels subversive. It feels a little bit darker than this stuff usually gets. And I compliment, again, the screenwriters and the directors for just making everything feel a little bit more seedy, sleazy, a little bit more edgy than normal. It helps these old guys seem fresh and hip. But yeah, it turns out Swelo isn't down for the count. He's going to get back on the bike. And yes, this is where the sidecar comes. I'm just surprised. I don't see sidecars that often. You know, usually if somebody's riding on a motorcycle, I see him riding bitch. I don't see him riding in a sidecar. <laughs> and so to see Marcus in the sidecar, like Robin in the old Batman and Robin 66. Well, it's where the, it's where the pit bull. <laughs> the literal pit bull, not the yes. musical star. <laughs> yeah, I'd love to see the music star in a sidecar. <laughs> yeah, too. he doesn't ride sidecars. No, no. <laughs> no, and I love when he gets in that sidecar. It's like a white man's basement down here with all the guns. Like, again, there's some good lines in this. I like it and I don't. Here's what I like. It's funny. It's fun to see Martin Lawrence be funny because he's been so reserved. But I really did kind of groove to the thematic idea that he wasn't going to kill. And I kind of wanted him to retain that. I actually thought it would have been interesting if he had been able to go the whole movie going the path of God. And the fact that he just ultimately decides, oh, that's not who I am, and just starts sh mowing down <laughs> motorcycle <laughs> gangs feels like a cheat. I liked it, though, how Will Smith convinces him. That's God's gun. He gave you that gun. <laughs> I'm laughing, but you hear what I'm saying. I, I can understand why you write it, and then you rewrite it because it isn't true to the character as they were doing defining him. Yeah, Stuart, I, I'm with you. I want to praise this film because it does address issues with the previous films, with violence and police authority and all that. But it's still an action film. They're not going to totally go full pacifist. Again, I've seen Carnahan do this with the A-Team, with B.A. Baracus. That, that's a big thing until he needs to fight, and then he's just going to fight. Like that. Ultimately, it's a Hollywood action film. Mm -hmm. But it would have been more daring and more edgy if they had kept these two on different paths the whole movie. And they just let this character go his new way and let Mike be Mike. I mean, I think that if they had worked it out where each could be different in that way, I didn't feel like it was for Martin Lawrence to learn he needed to go back to the old ways and kill people unnecessarily. Here's the difference is when I walked into this film, I'd seen the trailers and they're like bad boys one last time. You know, the scene after the chief is killed. And we've seen Marcus 
actually retire. I don't even think he's a cop here. He's not on the force. He's just tagging along. He does have a badge at this point. So I think, I don't know if you have to go through the rehiring process <laughs> if you retire and you want to become a cop again, but I think he's a cop again. So I honestly went into this thinking it was a final hurrah. Like, it was a goodbye to these characters, and in that case, you leave Martin Lawrence as a pacifist until the end. I didn't realize that they were going to use this movie to set up bad boys forever or something. <laughs> and I, you know what? I bet they didn't know that either until they started seeing the dailies, and then they said, you know what? We're not making the end. We're re-kicking this off. They probably had a version of the script doing exactly what I was saying and having him be the righteous person and teaching Mike that he didn't need to be this way. And now they realize, well, how can you make a sequel out of that? Also, I'm guessing Martin Lawrence wouldn't want to just be on the sidelines letting Will Smith hog all the action. If you're going to bring him back, remember, he was fucking top build initially. No one's saying don't do action. It would be a greater stunt to have to, like, kick somebody's ass without killing them. I mean, I, that's an interesting conflict to have him battling people, but not, you know, Batman kind of dealt with it. I mean, they're, they're, we've seen this issue brought up before. Collateral damage. Superman got hell for that, whatever that was, Man of Steel. You know, like we judge people harshly if they abuse their power. And so seeing him be the responsible one, that's what they were setting him up to be, would have been a fun way to play it. They're not going to do that. After this scene, it's just hilarious to see him go wild hogs with a gun, God's gun. <laughs> and Suelo's going to be rescued by Armando using a rope ladder with a helicopter. So many helicopters in this film as they'll call out. And a grenade launcher. I think that's where the grenade launcher comes back. Will Smith is like, I just like having a grenade launcher. Now this other guy just likes having a grenade launcher. And it brings the parallel of father is so much like son. And I did like the moment where I'm like, how the hell are they going to get out of a grenade launcher? He kicks off the latch that holds on the sidecar so the grenade goes between them. And now Martin Lawrence is just riding. <laughs> he has absolutely no control. Yeah, no. Again, if you've seen the A-Team, there's some crazy action. I feel like that is back here. Like, yeah, with that sidecar, or even earlier when it was connected, there's a stunt where, you know, Will Smith's not paying attention and that sidecar is underneath a semi. And That's it, funny. Yeah, very adrenalized action sequence here. Yeah, it's a very good sequence. It's worthy of a Fast and Furious, and it would be worthy of a climax, but I'm glad and surprised that it is not. Armando's going to get away on the chopper, but Suelo is not, and they set something up earlier that I can't believe they paid off. When he hired Suelo, he said, give yourself a raise, make your people do what I say, and stay the fuck out of my way, and I won't shoot you. And here, literally, Suelo is the fuck in his way because Mike is also hanging on to that rope and Armando can't get a shot. He can't shoot around Suelo. Suelo can't move. Suelo's literally in his way and he's going to shoot Suelo in the head just like he said he would. And not only that, it takes us back to the moment where the captain got killed. He wouldn't kill an innocent person. He wasn't going to shoot the referee that got in there and stood between him and Will Smith, but he will shoot this guy because this guy's not innocent. So again, we see how he makes moral choices when he's willing to kill and when he's not. And Mike, he's in the line of fire, but he loses his grip on the rope ladder. Fortunately, they're over the water and not over land, and he doesn't die. And he gets away, I think, with Suelo's cell phone. Yeah, we see... Mike takes Suelo's cell phone when they're, I don't know, in that gangland territory, and Suelo's got that big bump on his head and knocked out, he takes the phone. 
And we, we see this moment where they got to crack this cell phone. Mike's going to go to Dorn. And at this time, I guess ammo is getting disbanded. We see some people in suits talking to Rita. But Mike goes up to Dorn and he's like, can you can you go to the dark side and do that? Like, is this a reference? There's all this controversy about, will Apple unlock these iPhones used by terrorists so they get, get the information? Like, it does feel like, will you go to the dark side to unlock this phone and get this information off of here? I wonder if that's somehow coded language with what's going on now. They definitely, what to me felt like, of course the techie's going to break into the phone. Why wouldn't he do it? They definitely wanted to pause, yellow light, and say, is this an ethical choice cops should be making? And that was interesting that they paused before they said, absolutely. I'm praising this movie for the pauses, though, that, that it's actually going to take those pauses. And they find out this guy's called all over Mexico City. And so Dorn has to send out a ton of text saying, hasta fuego, just to see who's going to reply. We heard Mike say that earlier. And Rita's like, what the hell does that mean? See you when we die? See you in the fire? This is a nonsense phrase. Yeah, Armando said it to Mike as he dropped off the ladder on the helicopter. Yeah, this is really what helps Mike make all the connections of like, this kid knows a lot about me. He kind of looks like me. And yeah, once they finally realize that Suelo was calling the woman that he used to be involved with so many years ago, La Bruja, the witch, he's ready to tell Marcus something that Marcus didn't know about his longtime partner. And that is he fucked a witch without a condom. And she taught him how to dress. That was an even bigger <laughs> reveal. Like, he's like, she made Mike Lowry. I'm like, wow, I don't know if I'd want that credit. Last year, I really liked that airplane scene in Hobbs and Shaw. I thought it was really funny. And when they re remake it here, still pretty funny. Yeah, I, I really liked the way people around them were made uncomfortable. We fly together. We die together. And everybody's <laughs> like, what the fuck? Yeah, there's a lot of changing seats. And again, the comedy is not genius, but it is working. And you like these people. Again, I want to see this work. I want to see Marcus, yeah, one more time. I'm not fooled by that. But I, yes, come out and help your friend, bring ammo along, and learn about this twisted story. Help him correct a family problem that he has. Yeah, I did just laugh at how blunt Marcus gets, though. You fucked a witch without a condom? Warlock <laughs> baby had me laughing, yes. <laughs> and I felt like the first Bad Boys was funny. I felt like the second Bad Boys kind of backseated the humor a lot. I mean, there was the pool, but it all fell on Martin Lawrence. I felt like Will Smith was way too serious there. Here, I think Will Smith is playing it perfect, because he should be serious, and he is. He's like, this is my son, and I'm going to put a bullet in my son. I have to. I mean, mm -hmm. this is the right thing to do. This guy put bullets in me. He put a bullet in my captain. I'm going to put a bullet in him. But yet we're still getting funny reactions from him. We're still shown that Will Smith can do the comedy, but Martin Lawrence has taken the onus of the jokes. It's exactly what you want. You'd never want a buddy cop comedy to become so moralistic that everything is life and death stakes and there is no lightness. It has to retain a sense of levity because let's face it, this is not the Godfather. These are not <laughs> like serious, dramatical issues. It's a formula cop show. And so we have to be laughing. And the great news is, is that they're able to do the whole juggling act. It is as moralistic as it needs to be. It slows down just enough to say we care about these things, but it will never slow down so much that we're not laughing and zipping on to the next, well, at this point, the climax, Hildago Palace. 
Mexico City. We've crossed the border. Yeah, I feel like there's some scenes cut out because they're going to meet up with some people in Mexico. They give them guns. No, it was like a nice couple. And one of them says, this is payback for Miami. So again, in this movie's shorthand style, it means that way back in the day, you helped me out with something. And my payback is to give you some guns now. That's it. Okay, so it wasn't something I didn't remember from the first two films. Uh, well, that I can't say because I don't remember the first two films. <laughs> I don't need to. I get the short hair. I can say it wasn't something from the first two films, but I liked it. I liked that he had a contact there and that they were going to send time. Because we see them in the airport with these bags, and I'm like, well, is the grenade launcher in the bag? Yeah, we would definitely be <laughs> complaining if, if all of a sudden they were going on a commercial flight and were able to get off the plane with this kind of arsenal. So, yes, in hitting the yellow light, they slow down just enough to say this is how they get their weapons. And, of course, ammo is here, too. They could have probably brought their weapons as well. They definitely brought the drone. And so it is a reunion of, I guess, lovers and father and child here. Very telenovela, very dramatic and spooky. <laughs> I do think the look of this place, all of it's very perfect in its gothic sensibilities. This was the real test for me as they're walking into this Hildago Palace. There's a couple rats crawling along the ground. And something I do remember from part two is rats fuck. So I'm like, okay, this is your litmus test. Are these rats going to 69? Are they going to do a doggy style? <laughs> nope, they're just rats. They just crawl away on their bellies. Already a better film than the previous two because the rats don't fuck. But now I want to see rats 69ing. Thanks, Jacob. Well, I'm sure that's why we have the internet, right? I'm sure it's out there. But yeah, I, again, it's just gothic. It's silly. Of course, if we were to get the red light if we were to completely stop we would say this is all kind of stupid right but we're only getting yellow lights so we're still having fun we're still zipping through and i'm totally into this climax when it comes I oh yeah and i do you know you keep calling her the witch and again i don't think she's a literal witch she's just very superstitious but i do kind of like the fact that yes you're just gonna bring a witch into this film and they're gonna fight her and her henchmen i'm so fucking glad she never cast a spell i am really <laughs> there's no way i never believe she would do that well does she not i mean she incants and she claims when she sees mike i made you too strong I think that she cut a chicken head off or she did some Santeria to make him the cop that he was. She might think that. Listen, I believe she believes it, but I'm glad she's not a maid shooting fucking magic fireballs out of her hand. Yeah, she's not shooting lightning out of her fingertips in this film at all. Oh, admittedly, yeah, that the movie couldn't sustain itself. And I don't even think Michael Bay would do that. But then again, I'm not sure. No. <laughs> You know, and at no point does she even say an incantation and a roof falls in where we could think she's Carrie or something, you know? She can say her little speeches and she can have things go her way, but we could just say, you know, any religious person. Martin Lawrence prayed to God and Mike Lowry got out of the hospital. Did God do that or did doctors do that? I'm fine with that level yeah. of mysticism. Agreed. Agreed. And and it, again, it works to help her more threatening than what she really does because ultimately it has been Armando doing all of the killing and the heavy lifting and it seems to be the ammo team kind of rushing in, a whole lot of goons getting killed and Armando basically fighting Will Smith. It's a good fight, too. I like the fist fight between them until Mike gets him in a chokehold, can kill him, is ready to kill him. 
but there happens to be a mirror there. If that mirror hadn't been there, and if they hadn't <laughs> had the same facial hair, which is the only thing that makes them look alike, I don't think they had the casting agent going, we're looking for a Hispanic Will Smith lookalike. It's a tough one because if he'd looked too much like him, we would guess the surprise. So I think they did it well. I think that mirror did help me see that, yeah, they do have a similar quality. I can see how that would be unnerving to kill yourself. As silly as the mirror is, I like that it's in there. Like, again, it's just a little bit of shorthand there to remind you what the stakes are, what the story is. It's just a notch above what we've seen before with these bad boy films where, like, Michael Bay, he doesn't got time for that. He's got to get an explosion in there. He's got to do a cut. And... What Marcus did earlier, where he was turning the other cheek and got beaten up and fast food fist fucked, Mike has learned from that. Mike is going to do that here. He is going to try to penetrate Armando's soul with his heart. Yeah. Because the idea originally was inspired by the goofy one, by Marcus, he was the one originally doing that talk. It feels legitimate in that... He's had some influence on Mike. You know, Marcus at this point is still a killer. Like, they threw him a pair of glasses and he's blowing up the helicopters above. Oh, I love that moment because my wife said it. And the first time I got glasses, I said it. When Marcus puts them on, I was like, this shit's HD. It's exactly what it's like. (laughs) Yeah, I I remember that. Yeah, I remember when I first got glasses, I'm like, wait, trees have individual leaves. It's not just a blur of green. <laughs> it is. It was just like when I got my first HDTV. It's funny to see him. It was just one of those truth moments that you don't normally see in a bad boys film. Agreed, agreed. And, and it's both funny and allows Marcus to be a killer again. But Mike is going to be a little less of a killer here, too. They've had a little incremental influence on one another, even though ultimately they're the same characters they were at the start of this movie here at the end. They've changed just enough to make it feel like it's been drama. And I didn't know what Armando would do. I mean, again, I felt at this point that this was one last ride. I still thought this was going to be the last Bad Boys movie. Don't you kind of wish it was? Isn't it kind of cheap to know that they're now going to just crank this out with spinoffs and all of that? Like, dramatically speaking, it would be so satisfying to know that this was the end for them. But I guess money is just, it's corruptive, right? You just can't say no to what this movie's going to make. This is going to be a huge hit, and those are rare these days in Hollywood, unless it's a Disney film. Like, yeah, if you're going to have a huge hit, make it a franchise. Sony needs this. They don't even have Spider-Man anymore, so... And they got Morbius. That's the same thing. (laughs) (laughs) But... Here, I'm wondering what Armando's going to do, because he's been trying to kill Will Smith this whole time, thinking Will Smith was involved in his father's death, and he has no reason, just because he was let out of a chokehold, to not kill him, but I guess he also saw something in that moment with the motorcycle helmet, and when... Mike says, I'm your father. Something in him must believe it. And Isabel isn't smart enough to lie. When she comes down and Armando's like, is what he's saying true? Isabel just goes, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, doesn't matter is not, no. <laughs> he's crazy, kill him. Yeah, that's the same as yes. <laughs> yes, yeah, pretty much uh, revealing it there. But again, I think she had an earlier dialogue with Mike in which she corrected him. They said, our son, and she said, my son. She looks as Armando as an entirely her creation and so i think that she just sees him as a spell that she cast i've created this son he's gonna do my bidding and it's time to take out my other creation mike so what you're saying is she's just fucking crazy that seems to be the way it is here and who gets the kill shot on this they've wisely given it to rita they set that up too because earlier when mike shows up at the beginning he frisks isabel 
And Isabel says, there's a time you would have melted at my touch. And then we cut to Rita. Rita's like, I'm going to fucking kill her. <laughs> and sure enough, Rita fucking kills her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because the whole time they have been playing, like, Mike should get with Rita. Like, we see him get jealous when she shows up at the club in this tight dress and there's some dude hitting on her. Like, that has been, I guess, the love triangle is Rita, Mike, and Isabel. Yeah, I got the sense when they were talking early on that the reason why it didn't work out for Mike was he was still kind of holding on to the standard of his one true love, and that's Isabel. So it makes sense that like if he's going to get with Rita, he has to literally and metaphorically kill the concept of Isabel. And again, I should have seen that Isabel was the one true love, because in that scene that we keep talking about where they actually had a conversation early at the bar, Mark is asked, have you ever been in love? He goes, one time. But he looks at Rita, so I'm thinking the one time might have been with Rita. Maybe we're going to find out he really loves Rita. We're going to end up with him riding off in the sunset with Rita, because, you know... Again, I thought this was the end. And no, we find out the one true love was here, was Isabel. She's going to die, and he's more than happy to let her go. And, you know, she still made a very kick-ass Mike Lowry. She did good. And they have a really interesting, I think, a semi-mature response to Armando, because it would have been very easy to have a pillar fall on him or something. But they make the choice that he's alive here at the end, and he is not going to go free, or at least not in this movie. Next one, we'll see. But the idea is you're going to have to pay for your crimes... But I'm going to be there for you anyway. I'm going to visit you in jail. I think it impresses Rita in that moment. I think it's impressive to show a new dimension and a new side to Mike as well. It shows that he is willing to be some kind of father. And I didn't even think about that. When they reunited, I'm like, okay, they're going to reunite. But he's like, you did a lot of bad things. You're going to have to pay for what you've done, but I'm going to be there for you. That was a really refreshing and mature and unexpected twist, whereas I expected it to be, we're in Mexico, run from the cops. (laughs) Right, yeah, (laughs) it it could have gone that way. And so instead, conveniently, now Rita has, they need a new captain. She has been promoted to that captain. She's the boss. She's moving on up because six months ago, they were congratulating her when Marcus had his baby. They were congratulating her, you just got promoted. Promoted to lieutenant. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and then they disbanded ammo at some point when like pedestrians got killed on the highway during the Swalo chase. My question is, you talk about this timeline, Arnie, and, and they can't get years straight. How many years later is this climax? Because that baby got teeth now. We saw this baby born at the beginning of the film. Now the baby's got teeth. It, it's got to be like two or three. I figured it was around one. I mean, babies teeth at different times. I don't know. I don't have a fucking kid. Okay, so this, this <laughs> is supposed to be like a year later. It's not supposed to be like a month later. I'm not sure about that. Maybe they just couldn't afford the, the <laughs> baby prop that they use whenever they need a, a little infant. Yeah. I was busy on American Sniper 2, but, you know, six months passed with Mike in the hospital, so we know at least that much time passed. Okay, so we did, yeah, that's true. Okay, I'll forgive it. But I do love they do another joke callback here that really works when... The baby's crying. Mike has agreed to babysit, whereas earlier he wouldn't even hold the baby. He didn't want to carry the baby into the spa. Doesn't want to touch the baby. Now that he's a dad, he's like, okay, I'll watch the baby. Because what he said was funny. I don't want to catch that. I understand that feeling. So (laughs) now that he's like, well, I guess I'm already infected. I'll babysit. And the baby's crying. So Mike sings Bad Boys, and the baby stops crying, and then Marcus starts doing the, he's a rotten, he doesn't know the fucking words, baby starts crying again. 
No one knows the words to that song except for what you see at the opening credits of Cops. It was also funny earlier where Ammo starts singing the Bad Boy song and they're like, no, don't you ever do that again. But it's very true because I don't know. I mean, is Cops still on? Because that's where the Inner Circle song actually originated. It didn't come from this movie. It came from the Fox first reality show of the 1980s. I don't know if Cops is still on. They have Live PD now, which is like the new Cops. Cops is on TV. I have seen it on some cable station. Are they new episodes, though? But I have no fucking way to know if it's new or old reruns. I mean, a guy coming out in a wife beater while drunk is timeless. (laughs) It is, and they probably still could use the same old Inner Circle song. I'm sure that reggae group is very thankful for that. (laughs) But I do think it's appropriate. The metaphor is complete. The oldsters are teaching a new generation how to sing bad boys. But after they told the new generation to not sing it, they do bring it back. It does play before they go to the club. And something I'm really glad about... They brought back that score. Da, 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 I love that score from the first movie. I'm so glad they brought it back here. It gave it that fun vibe and made it feel like Bad Boys. It would be like, to me, that score would be like if you have Beverly Hills Cop 4 and don't bring in do, 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 do. You know what I'm saying? I do, but I don't want to go back to Bad Boys 1. The difference between you and me is that movie was a toilet sewage pile that should not be in any way influencing this new pretty good movie. You mean it was a great seminal 90s action film? I agree. It was not and nobody (laughs) agrees with you. Like that was, it was a marginal hit. That spawned Will Smith's career, Michael Bay's career. Independence Day and Men in Black had a lot more to do with Will Smith overall stardom than Bad Boys. Bad Boys was a cobblestone on the road. He wouldn't have gotten Independence Day without Bad Boys. A cobblestone. He stepped on it and he stepped up. Far up, in my opinion. And I didn't even like Independence Day, but it was better than Bad Boys. But we do get the scene that I did not expect. I knew I was going to stay till the credits, just in case. I knew I was seeing it first of the three of us, so we always like to give each other a heads up when we can save that 10 minutes and walk out of the theater. Yeah, I hate sitting through credits, particularly these days when they're 20 minutes long. Yeah, it's always worse in like a Marvel film where you have 1,800 CG animators to credit. Bad Boys had decently short credits, but very soon in them... We see, I have no idea what prison Armando is in. It looks like he's in a cage in a dark warehouse. It's the same one as Woody Harrelson in Venom. At least in Venom, there was like a hallway or something. Here, you know what I'm betting happened is this was like filmed last week. And they're like, here's a soundstage. Let's put up some fencing. Yeah, they had to be sure that there was going to be more. And they are very confident. I'm sure once they saw the finished product, they said, yep. I don't think they're going to do an Armando movie without the bad boys. Like, I don't think they're... It's not Hobbs and Shaw, right? Well, no, it's Armando and Mike, right? It's father and son being bad boys. Yeah, it it might be Will Smith and this guy with no Martin Lawrence. That's my prediction. And Emma. Emma will come back. But we get Marcus, too, because they cut back to the airplane and he's taking a poll from the whole airline. Like, would you fuck a witch without a condom? (laughs) Very good question. Uh, everyone should have to answer that. Yeah, I thought there might be more outtakes. You know, we're doing rush hour on Fridays, and those always ended with the outtakes. I thought there might be more outtakes somewhere in the credits, more jokes that got cut or something. But no, that was the only one. I think it's going to serve him well. I do think that Armando will be going forward a good foil. It's a whole lot 
for Mike to learn about his son and who he is and how they're different. And yes, every now and then they can call up their good friend Marcus, who's sitting on a recliner, and he'll tell a really funny joke. Nah, he said he's bad boys for life. He is coming out of retirement. He's not going to drive Teresa crazy at home anymore. I don't believe he'll be a major character if this goes forward. I hear that they said it. They gave themselves the option but I believe he's going to sit his ass down and do minimal for the future. Depends on if they'll pay him the same for doing minimal. <laughs> but let's find out. Good men, good men. What you gonna do? What you gonna do when I say, do you recommend bad boys for life? Jacob. What a difference a bay makes <laughs> or, or a lack of a bay. It is shocking. And that was my one hope. Like there's no Michael Bay in this one. And could it be better because of that? It is. I want. I almost want to give this film Best Picture, give it the Oscar, because it is such a course correction. Like, mm-hmm. it, it is so mediocre. Like, it, again, it's not an amazing script, but it corrects the problems that I had and I think Stuart had with police brutality, just the style of humor, the obnoxious editing. Like, it corrects so many things. Like, I think I like this film a lot more than I actually do, like just in talking about it because they improve so many things. And, you know, we always talk about you don't rate everything equal. <laughs> All films. Films are different. You have steaks and you have hamburgers. And as we see Martin Lawrence do in this film, he eats a frozen burrito. <laughs> you get frozen burritos too. I've had a lot of frozen burritos. I can tell you there are different qualities. There are actual good frozen burritos and there are ones that aren't great. And this is a good frozen burrito. Like this is a Fun, inconsequential action film that I laughed during. I enjoyed the action scenes. Will I ever watch it again? I don't know. Maybe if it's just like playing and I'm in the room. But I enjoyed this film. It's entertaining. It's got some themes. And does it totally deliver on them? No, it's it's going to pull back because, yeah, we want to see stuff blow up ultimately. But I had a fun time with this film. I, I, I was surprised how much fun I had because, yeah, they did address so many of the issues that I felt were there with the first two bad boys. So, yeah, I'm giving this film a recommend. Go see it. Stuart. Yeah, my compass got blown up in a spectacular display. I don't even know what's up and down anymore. I predicted this to be one of the worst. You think Sonic the Hedgehog is going to win Best Picture? Because, like, now, like, I have no sense about what's good or bad. I thought this franchise was going to be bad for life. You started with nothing, and now you just got older, and you got greedier, and you got fat people trying to relive a bad franchise. How could anything come from this other than us hate watching it and making fun of it and it's the happiest surprise of the year that they have rallied and made yeah one of the better installments of fast and furious like that is a (laughs) victory that is an amazing win for this franchise and all they had to do was stop a little pause slow down to have a little bit weightier themes give a little more consideration to characters add some young characters who are all very sensible and likable And yeah, just let Martin Lawrence and Will Smith do what they do within that context. And suddenly you have a film that, yeah, doesn't feel even close to the abysmal Bad Boys, Bad Boys 2 scenario that we had. Just a few years ago, I watched that. I don't remember a thing. But yeah, it feels like a whole new day, a whole new dawn. And I'm going to give props mostly to this directing team. I do not want to see Bad Boys 4. I am not so energized that I'm like, I can't wait for more of this. But I would like to see this directing team's first movie, and I would like to see what they do next if it's not a Bad Boys movie. And you know what? I'm not dreading Bad Boys forever either. I think that if you have to do a buddy cop movie, this is better than most. It is a very solid recommend. Have you blown your mind? Yeah, I had to like (laughs) take a moment and a breath. I was like, what the fuck? 
<laughs> I, I knew Jacob would recommend it. I didn't think Stuart would ever recommend it. I mean, recommending a buddy action film. Stuart gave it a pretty hearty recommend, too. So, three for three, I think this is the best written of the Bad Boys movies. You said you're going to credit the director, Stuart. I'm going to be with Jacob and credit Carnahan. Because I think this is the best written of all the bad boy films. Now, I think that having them face their age was so smart. Because if we went in there and this was just Bad Boys 3 and they acted like no time had passed, which is what I expected, that would be a debacle. But they're facing the aging. They're making it contemporary. The people who saw Bad Boys, like me, when it was new, are feeling the same things, and so it makes it highly relatable to them, and yet you bring in Vanessa Hudgens and Ammo to try to bring in a new audience as well, and while I do think my audience was mostly older, I'm, I don't know how much this is going to reach teens who normally, you know, fund R-rated movies, even though they shouldn't, but I thought it was a smart Bad Boys film, which we hadn't gotten. It doesn't give me the contact high of Bad Boys 1. So in the end, if I'm going to just watch a movie for pure fun, I'm going to watch Bad Boys 1 again. That movie just is like crack for me. But it's a solid recommend for Bad Boys for life. But I don't want him to do a four. If I could like change one thing, I'd cut that scene at the end with the sun because I thought it was going to be like Frank Langella at the end of... Masters of the Universe, I will return. I thought this movie was going to tank and that, that where you're going to pay down your debt would be one of those cliffhangers that never, ever gets payoff. Who would bet against it, though? Like, with the box office this is getting and with the way that it played. I mean, the crowd, just the reaction, I know they've got a winner here. And yeah, Sony needs all the franchises it can get. Yeah, absolutely. I know now what I didn't know when it was playing. But even though I now know it's coming and i enjoyed this one you know they say they're gonna ride it till the wheels fall off that's yeah. what the bad boys say right i don't want them to ride it till the wheels fall off i want them to park it in pristine condition and let it stay good well here's what i'm hoping you know jamie lee curtis said okay the halloween reboot was a hit i'll do two more Maybe they can have an exit strategy. Maybe they can tailor the next couple sequels so that it hands the torch off to Armando and Ammo, and we'll have bad boy movies. Bad boys kill and bad boys end? Yeah, like we'll, we'll have them logically bring the stories of Mike and Marcus to a complete close without turning it into a automobile with no wheels, a junker that is no fun for anyone to watch or make. Yeah, so they say Joe Carnahan will write the next one. That is something that they're confident about, but it was just announced Disney is poaching him for National Treasure 3. They're doing so, they're picking that up yeah, now. They're pulling that out of the National Treasure for Life. <laughs> Never seen any of them. I don't know what that means, but you know what? Screenwriters can work on multiple projects at the same time. I think he can do both. If he comes back, I'll have optimism for Bad Boys 4. I went in pessimistic for Bad Boys for Life. I really thought this was going to suck. And so the fact that I liked it, I'm not dreading a four, but I don't want another Bad Boys 2 ever. Well, let me ask you this. Are you more excited for Bad Boys 4 or Fast and the Furious 9? I would actually rule if they can keep this directing team, this screenwriter, and this supporting cast. I think I like the Bad Boys universe more. Without... Paul Walker and without The Rock, 
Yeah, I'm more excited for Bad Boys 4, assuming Martin Lawrence is not retired. I'm more excited for Bad Boys 4 than Fast and Furious 9. I don't know if What's-His-Face from Tokyo Drift can fill the hole that the leaving stars have left. John Cena. Yeah, he he might be as good, but who's the new Jason Statham? Helen Mirren, maybe. <laughs> Guys, can we get a Bad Boys, Fast and Furious crossover? Is that in our future? <laughs> I felt like it was happening. It could be, actually. That end scene, I felt like they were going to get him out so they could go race Dominic Toretto. But... Well, if Sony buys Universal, it will happen. But right now, two different studios means no crossover. And I think Universal would buy Sony before that. Sony keeps hedging on getting out of the movie business. But yeah, this movie did gangbusters. Second best Martin Luther King weekend ever. The only movie to do higher is American Sniper. It was estimated to come in at 48 million. That's what they were shooting for over a four-day weekend, which is always an optimistic figure. Like they're always like, please, oh please. And usually it's like, and we'll be happy with 35. Sometimes I see them shoot low because they want to appease the stockholders. So they'll shoot a little low so they can be like, we beat expectations. Right. But they never expected 70 this weekend. Yeah. This is probably going to have good international appeal, too. I mean, international audiences love explosions. They have a reason to be proud because they took a very bad concept that was very tired and hackneyed and made it as fresh as any other action franchise out right now. And so, yeah, I don't know why uh, you wouldn't want to see this continue if they can keep this quality. Especially since here's some of Sony's recent offerings. The Grudge. Yeah. We know that didn't do well, and not a lot of people listen to our show. Well, you said they're going to make more. We'll, we'll see. Charlie's Angels. Oh, boy. Yeah, not going to make more with that cast. How is Sony still in business? <laughs> Zombieland Double Tap did okay at 120 worldwide, but not great. Please, no trilogy. Morbius? Nobody's going to fucking see Morbius. Nobody knows who Morbius <laughs> is. He's the living vampire. That's not necessarily a means that no one will see it. it. It depends on how they sell it. Come on, Michael Keaton's coming back. They're really trying to tell you this. Guys, this ties in. It's just like Spider-Man. It's going to tie you into the MCU. Yeah, we got Michael Keaton. We don't have anybody from the MCU. No Tom Holland, but we got Michael Keaton. Yeah. Venom worked. That's all I'm saying. But... Yeah, sure, they have Jumanji. Okay, Sony, you live on that Jumanji and Little Women money, but most of their franchises are falling on their face. This year looks like a good year for them. They also got Ghostbusters coming back later. Yeah, that trailer looks solid. I was surprised. Another franchise I had written off is dead that I think maybe there is an afterlife. Yeah, Sony needs the franchises. If Afterlife works, we know there'll be more Ghostbusters. And yes, I don't think they can afford to not have the bad boys back. But more importantly, I think that we would all be happy to see a buddy action series that that had this quality. I mean, I think it's a hard genre to do. I mean, I'm, I'm on record. It's not one of my favorites. And so if they can make this work, they could have something that's just as good as Lethal Weapon. As for us, we're going to do some more big movies with big gorillas. Next week, we are back with... King Kong, the 1970s version. Yeah, I never saw this one, but I like... It's Jeff Bridges, right, as he was emerging as a star, and Jessica Lange, a very established actress. I mean, it was a hit, I think. You've never seen it? Like, to this day, you've never seen it? I've never seen it. Mm-mm, I don't know much about it. I, it always had a bad reputation, and that might have just been my household. Like, it might have <laughs> just been my dad going, oh, that's no good. But for whatever reason, I had it in my head that I should never watch it. But I will... 
I watched it at least a dozen times as a kid, probably more. It was one of the first movies I recorded off TV on VHS and just looped. But I haven't gone back since like I was eight, mm. so I'm yeah. curious. Right. And I, I saw the <laughs> sequel. They actually made a direct sequel to that film. We'll cover it the week after. King Kong Lives from the 80s. Linda Hamilton, not one of her finest moments. I'll just leave it at that. Is she going to fight a Terminator, King Kong? <laughs> Lady Kong. Lady Kong, uh-oh. <laughs> Never saw that one. Meanwhile, this Friday, if you want to hear us discuss two other bad boys, Chris Tucker and Jackie Chan, our Platinum Donation Series kicks off with Rush Hour. Know nothing about it. And, and, and not only do I know nothing about Rush Hour, I know nothing about Jackie Chan. I've never seen a single one of his films. I can't believe that. <laughs> I know. It's a huge, huge oversight in my filmography that I will be correcting very soon. Will he like Rush Hour as much as he's liked Bad Boys for Life? Join us on Fridays. It's the end of our current donation drive. We really appreciate it all the support hopefully you can join us and also last friday amadeus went out for our patrons too yeah a a period film for people that don't think they like period films maybe you could look at it as an 18th century bad boys with mozart and salieri (laughs) (laughs) you know what it's not as crazy as it sounds that's a little bit of a stretch but not too much of a stretch there's there's there is a surprising modern sensibility to it all and i think that yes get beyond the powdered wigs there's something for modern day audiences to enjoy so thank you for listening we ride together we die together now playing for life I tell you, I love you, man. Yeah, you know you always be getting emotional after gunfights. It's because I'm glad we survived. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> I love you too, man. Don't be looking at me. I said, yeah, I love you. I said that shit. <laughs> you my boy, man. Nah, nah, you like my brother, man. Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing's Bad Boys Retrospective Series. Whoa, that was good. How you one of those guys, huh? In and out. We hope you've enjoyed the show. Oh, that one puckered up my butthole. For more movie review podcasts, visit the nowplayingpodcast.com archives. There you'll find hundreds of film reviews, including Die Hard, John Wick, the Jason Bourne series, Kingsman, Machete, the Marvel Comics movies, and more. And come back each week for another new movie review. Oh, these dudes is off the chain! I'm calling in a favor. Now Playing relies on listener support to keep operating. You just remember one thing, my friend. I may not always be here. For our podcast's 10th anniversary, we have released over 150 donation podcasts through our Podbean page. Available there are series like The Matrix, the Quentin Tarantino films, Planet of the Apes, Jurassic Park, Aliens, and much more. Links to our Podbean page are available from nowplayingpodcast.com. Ah, this is what I need. I need a SWAT team, helicopters. We're calling all cars here, baby. You can also join the Now Playing patron campaign through our Podbean site. 
Patrons of $10 or more get a new exclusive movie review every month. Plus, even more perks, including one where you can pick a movie for our host to review. Find the details on our website. Maybe there ain't gonna be no long run. You can also follow Now Playing on Google+, Facebook, and Twitter, where the hosts post new episode announcements, movie reviews, and contests, where you can win movies and soundtracks. Hey, man, work your magic. You say you're a computer whiz? You can also help Now Playing by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. A link to Now Playing's iTunes listing can be found at nowplayingpodcast.com. My shit always works sometimes! Now Playing Podcast is produced and edited by Arnie Carvalho. Whoa! Whoa! I am way too unstable for that bullshit! Stop all the goddamn movement! Everybody stop moving! Associate produced by Jason. Just do what you do, only faster. Now Playing's Bad Boy series credit narration by Brock. He doesn't talk that way. Talk like him, like him. Try to talk sexy. Come on. on. You don't sound sexy enough. The Bad Boys films, all audio clips, and music used are the property of their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. This podcast has not been prepared, approved, or licensed by any entity that created or produced the well-known Bad Boys films. Now Playing is an independent movie review podcast with no affiliation with any company involved in the publishing, creating, or distribution of that film series. I'm not trying to lose my job on this one. The opinions expressed in Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated. You got the right to remain silent. Anything you say can, will be used against you in the court of law. Yo, man, what the fuck are you doing? Getting it out the way. Now Playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2020, all rights reserved. And no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. This is what we do. Now that's how you're supposed to drive. From now on, that's how you drive. Fifth anniversary. Wow, that is a hell. I knew that was going to (laughs) happen. I just saw him teetering. Wow, that is a I mean, you know, you can have dreams. I'm sure. I, you know what? Eddie Money was a Chicago cop that became a rock star, so it can happen. I hate to say this, but my actual primary care physician just finished writing a share musical. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I would feel like I was getting the best care. Does Cher know that she's involved? Yeah. Yeah, he's approached Cher's agents, and they're like, no, you can't do this. You can't even perform it. It will sue you. But (laughs) my doctor, my medical doctor, who did like seven years of med school, his dream is to write Cher musicals. (laughs) No, hey, my my dad did advertising and teaching his whole life and writing scripts on the side. That was his dream. That's out there. (laughs) Woo, stop.